What's up, Peoria? How you doing? I'm Mark Supreme. And I'm Chris Kiergaard. Welcome to State of Peoria, sponsored by State Farm Agent Aaron Kilgore, located at 3805 North Sterling Avenue, uh, where he specializes in car, home, and life insurance. This is our third installment of the collaboration of Strictly Hip Hop 90.7 FM and the Peoria Journal Star interview series that is all about politics and all about the Pete. And we are talking tonight about one of the hottest races, if not the hot race, all around Peoria outside of the mayoral this year. We're in the first district tonight talking with all three candidates for first district city council, beginning with incumbent councilwoman Denise Moore. And we'll be talking to challengers Aaron Chess and Denise Jackson after that, finding out where they stand on the issues and answering on, on their plans and the specifics of what they want to do for the first district. So without further ado, Miss Councilman Denise Moore. Denise, how you doing? Outstanding. How are you? And thank you for inviting me. Certainly, certainly. Uh, we're good. We are good. Um, so we'll get right into it. Uh, you've been on city council for eight years and you're returning for another four, asking the voters to bring you back in. What would you say is your biggest accomplish accomplishment thus far and what unfinished business are you looking to tend to if reelected? Before I got elected, uh, living in the first district, I, I moved from uh, Bloomington to the East Bluff, and then from the East Bluff, we moved in, over here to 61605. And in that time, um, what I had noticed, uh, the reason we moved to 05 was because it was a lot like where we were from in, on the south side of Chicago. It had some challenges. It had some great people. It had a lot of opportunity, and that's what we wanted to be involved with. What I had been noticing uh, was that uh, we have very poor infrastructure. And when I say infrastructure, I'm, I'm primarily talking about roads. And I learned that most of the roads coming through the first district, especially the south side, uh, are not owned by the city of Peoria. So that's a problem. You're talking about Lincoln, Howett, um, Jefferson, Adams. They, they're not owned by the city of Peoria. So there's not a lot we can do there. So we had infrastructure issues. We had housing issues. We had more than 1,100 homes had been vacant and abandoned. And a lot of these had been vacant and abandoned for 10, 15, 20 years. I said, that's crazy. Why is it that someone's not doing something with this? So those were the primary two things that I saw happening in the first district. And then finally, uh, employment. The unemployment rate in the first district was ridiculous, especially in the African-American community. And it still is. And those are the three things that I'm continuing to work on and have brought some improvement to those areas. So we often hear about baby boomer generation. Uh, they talk about how the South End was a thriving part of our city, but the millennials and Gen Zers can't relate because we didn't witness it. In your estimation, um, how did it get to that point? What, what happened down there? Well, not, I didn't witness it either, but I've talked to a lot of folks on the first district who have told me about the heyday, uh, about all the, the black businesses that were here, about all the homes that were here, uh, that there were thriving neighborhoods. And before I even moved to Peoria, all that was scraped away. So I don't know what happened. I don't, I don't people who are from here needs to look and, and find out who allowed that to happen. And so in the last eight years, what I have done, um, when, in fact, let's move back to 2001 when I moved to Peoria. Um, my husband and I decided to make an investment where we felt we were most needed. And that's over here on 05. Um, so 
So what I've heard was that there were a lot of businesses along Western. You don't see that now, and you see it coming back. Uh, when I brought Save-A-Lot in in, 27, in 2016, that opened the door for Family Dollar to be there now. Dollar General built from the ground up. You've got this whole ShopRite Plaza, which was a derelict, has really come back to life and been very vibrant. Uh, we've, we're even building a $2.5 million fire station on Western and, and uh, Howet that's going to be named after the first African-American firefighter. And, and let's not forget Western itself, $12 million of investment. And so, yes, if, if I had a business on Western 30 years ago and I watched this city do nothing and 20 years ago do nothing and people are leaving that area, you know, it would make me wonder would I have moved my business also. And having been in businesses and started businesses and started two radio stations, I think I know what it takes to generate interest in businesses to come back. When you saw Save-A-Lot, you saw a lot of things come back to Western that had not been there prior to my being in office. So that, I think, is what's going to bring those people back to, to the South Side, to the First District, because we have to remember, the First District is not just the South Side. The South, this first district is North Valley, it's the downtown, it's the warehouse district. And if we're getting singly focused on just one area of town to the exclusion of the other district, other part of the district, then that's not going to come off so well. We all need to work together to make this thing work. It's not Denise that's making this happen. Make no mistake. It's not me. It's not my plan. It's not my proposal. I'm listening to what you are telling me that you want. And you have told me you want better infrastructure. You have told me you want some of these derelict houses off the off the map. You have told me you want more people moving back in. And that is what is happening. I am the only person from the state of Illinois that was invited to Washington, D.C. to serve on the housing task force. Now, that says something because they saw that here in Peoria, I was making some changes behind the scenes. Now, now remember this. When you have eleven hundred vacant houses and you take down 10 or 20 or 50, you won't even notice it. People don't even notice that there have been more than 300 houses taken down because there's so many. And so what we're trying to do is collect in a collaborative effort, bring those vacant houses, take them down. You have a plot of land now that you can give to a developer on the provision that they bring something to the community. We have vacant lots now that we would give to someone who lives next door to a vacant house. If you want a vacant, if you want a vacant property or excuse me, a vacant lot next to the house that you own in the first district, we can do that for you. In fact, anywhere in the city of Peoria, we'll give it to you just so somebody's taking care of it. And so to your question about the neglect that has occurred over 30, 40, 50 years, I wasn't here, but I'm here now. And I do it because this is where I live. I do it because I have two little grandsons, one 13 and one about to be three. And I do it so that they can say, and I can show them how you make a difference. One person can do a lot, but all of us together can do more. Okay. Denise, I want to want to follow up a little bit on that. Uh, you know, I, I think it's it's certainly fair to say that that the needs on on the south side and up in the valley, whether it's 
road and sidewalk repairs, whether it's business development, whether it's dealing with vacant properties, are, are greater there than in some other parts of the city. But at the same time, whoever is elected, whether it, it's you or one of the challengers, is going to have four other district council people who's trying to get projects done. And on things like roads, they, they might have a strong case to make for, for getting getting their piece of the pie. How do you successfully work with 10 other colleagues to get the most resources for the first district? Because I, I think that that's, that's a big priority, knowing how those resources are going to come to the district that really seems to need the most attention with those resources. Well, let me tell you how I got Western accomplished. So you're talking about just about $12 million that uh, most of that is coming from the state. What I did, I did my homework. And I always do my homework when I present something to council. By the time I start talking about something, I've researched this nine ways to Sunday. And so you are right. You're only one vote. You need six people voting to get your issue on the, on the map. What I was able to successfully demonstrate by our own city uh, public works records, I asked them to pull the records on, on Western to let me know how long it had been since any major improvement had happened on Western. The city records went back 35 years, and they came back and said in 35 years, long before I came to Peoria, in 35 years, there had been no major improvement on Western. And talking at the SEUC meeting, to uh, Lavetta Rica, she told me, no, no, that's not right, Denise. I've been here and it's been at least more than 50 years. And so listening to the community, knowing that this is an issue and just walking down the sidewalk, you, you can see for yourself. So I put that on the list. I made the case to council that this was necessary. I was able to show them our own records that said, we've not done anything. And they agreed to move forward and putting Western on the list. And Western has been on the list for about, oh, I think about three years. And now it's our turn. Other projects have happened before our, us. Of course they have. You know why? Because somebody put them on the list. Ours is on the list now. I'll give you one other example if I can. I was approached by Carl Cannon back in 2017 after I got elected to the second term. And he said, it was raining. He said, Denise, you need to come down here, down the tree. And I said, well, what's going on? He was talking about how it was raining, how that street uh, folkers used to get so full of water that by the time the kids got off the bus and walked into the school building, they had wet feet, their socks were wet, and now they have to sit there all day like that. I went down there. I had, I had been down there many times, but apparently not in a torrential rainstorm. And I could not believe what I was seeing. So in 2017, I petitioned the council with that information, and it helped that the Journal Star had done an article on the class of 2001, I believe it was, who had from Tree Wynn, who had petitioned the council back in 2001 to do something about that street. And it was never done. Once I became aware of it, nine months later, by the time the kids went back to school in 2017, they had a beautiful street. There was a proper entrance to the school district, to the Tree Wind School. It's gorgeous over there now. Now when they get off the bus, there is no water pooling that they're stepping in. Uh, it looks like it's someplace somebody is proud to go, to, to a school they're proud to be at, a street they're proud to be on. 
That's how you do it. You have to do your homework. You can't come up and say, well, doggone it. It hasn't happened in all this time and you need to get it done. And they look at you and, and okay. And then they go on to the next thing because you haven't proved anything. You're going you're gonna to have to do your homework. City council meetings are three to four to six hours long sometimes. But guess what? That's only part of the work. If you're not spending at least 20 hours a week doing work before you go to a council meeting, then you're not doing your job. Okay. That's, how I get, that's how I get people to, to, to buy in. I do the homework. I show the case. I make the case. Okay. I, I want to ask you, too, you, know, you, you mentioned uh, earlier on in, in the conversation the warehouse district is, is one of the examples of a, a place in the first district, and, and certainly it's one that, that definitely can be bragged on the improvements there over the last 10 or 12 years in the warehouse district. What's the plan to get that success, whether, whether we're talking residential, whether we're talking business development, to get that success there to start to come into the neighborhoods that are nearby, because I, I think there's there's some frustration. Like it, it's a world apart from the rest of the South End, the more traditional part of the South End. So what, what's the plan there? You, that's an excellent question, because it gives me the opportunity to let everyone know the monies you see spent in the warehouse district in the downtown, the monies you see being spent on development in the North Valley, that's not city money for the most part. Most of the, the city may go into a what's called a redevelopment agreement, whereby for a period of years, you put your money in first. And as you're paying your taxes over years, we may forgive some of that because you put in big dollars. So the money you see going in the warehouse district, that's not the city money. The money you see with um, the um, Habitat for Humanity, you see the... Uh, Obeck and Isaac, you see the Ronald McDonald House, you see all of this stuff going on in the North Valley, that's private money. So when you ask the question, so how can we move that and bring those things to the South Side? You do it by improving your infrastructure. So once you have a Western Avenue, and in fact, some of it's already happening, Western Avenue is going to be beautiful. It's going to be absolutely gorgeous. When the people who have the private money start seeing that, oh, well, you are committed to this part of town. Okay, well, let me take a look at that. That's one of the ways to get it done. The city owns vacant uh, property on the corner of Lincoln and Western, right next to the church. Hmm. I'm trying to, I've asked the city to put together a what's called a request for uh, inquiry or a request for proposal to sell that property if... Um, Mark Supreme decides to, he wants to build a strip center. And he looks at that corner and he's like, you know what? I could do something there. Then let's talk about it at the city level because you're bringing private investment. And the city investment to that would be to provide you that, that vacant lot. But we're going to ask a couple of things. We're going to ask for you to hire from 05. We're going to ask you to stay there for a certain period of time. We're going to ask you for things that will build the community. And so the thing that you need to take from this conversation is that that's not city money. That's private money. And talking to private developers and, and showing them that there is a commitment again to the South Side. That's how you bring what's happening in the North Valley, what's happening in the warehouse district. 
to the south side. And and is there just to follow up? Is there a specific plan for areas that that we're prioritizing doing that, growing off of the warehouse district, growing off of of Western Avenue? Is that is there a specific plan I can look at and see? Here's where the city is targeting that that they want to get five new businesses or five private developers in within the next two years. So what I'm holding up in front of you is called the South Village Revitalization, MacArthur Corridor Comprehensive Plan, and South Village Implementation Plan. This was completed back in 2019 at my request. We found monies to get this done. We brought in a bunch of black architects who spent the whole summer here, uh, black architectural students led by a black architectural firm to look at this area because that's exactly what we needed. There's a major company here in town that I won't mention who said, yeah, you know, we'd like to help you out, but you don't have a plan. We have a plan. This plan was not only presented to the city council, it was presented several times at the SCUC meeting. You know, you must've been there, you're shaking your head. It is on the city of Peoria's website. It is no secret. Out of this plan, what we're working on right now is uh, on MacArthur Highway uh, before COVID in early spring of 2020, the the plan as presented in here that was presented in 2019 was to start developing housing. There are two blocks on MacArthur Highway that the city owns the, the land. When you have site control, you have you can better able you're better able to do some things when you have site control. The city owns two full blocks off of MacArthur Highway. And in this plan, we talked about what we can do there. We even show architectural renderings of different kinds of housing units that can be done there. Did you know that the Kingdom Temple Church of God in Christ on MacArthur Highway is about to add a two million dollar a congregation center, a chap, a, a, um, a fellowship hall. They, the, the building they're in now is going to be their fellowship hall. And they're building a $2 million addition that will seat more than 300 people. And the only reason they haven't started on that was because of COVID. That's something I've been talking to them about for years. Private money, city's not doing anything. So it's not like I need to come out and keep talking about it because that's a private investment. But I've talked to them about if we get some houses built, you think you have some people in your congregation that might be interested in those houses? I've talked to the school district years ago about utilizing some of those houses. If we get some houses built, bringing in black teachers to live in 05 to teach our children. And so that is part of what the plan is. This didn't happen overnight. These things happen because you build relationships along the way, just like the relationship I built in Washington, D.C. when I was gone there for the, the, the affordable housing conference. You build relationships with people inside the city and outside the city. You develop your plan. You bring in corporations who will, would like to donate to those plans. But here's the thing. This is all private investment. This is not city money. And that's the only way, well, let me rephrase that. That's one of the ways that we can make it happen for ourselves. We can't sit around on our hands waiting for the city to make it happen for us. Because if you're going to do that, you're going to be left behind. I've, I've always said that we need to get up. You know, you, you don't have, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps if you don't have boots or straps. And so you need to 
stop waiting for somebody to do it for yourself and get it done. I used to tell my daughter, my daughter, well, she's going to be mad when I tell you her age. She's 42. Don't tell her I told you. But when she was a teenager, you know, she used to lay in the bed. And I said, you know, you need to get up and get some stuff done. You know, she was looking for a job. And I, used to, I would tell her, no one's going to come knocking on the door saying, oh, hey, we have a job for you. You want this job? You get up off your butt. You go out there and you pound the pavement until you make it happen. You know, I wouldn't be sitting here today if I didn't have two jobs and go to school part time to get my degree. That's how I got it done. I was a single mom. You know, my, I, I kicked my first husband to the curb because he decided, you know, that he was he was Muhammad Ali and I was everybody Muhammad Ali ever beat up. Well, after you've been, a, you know, going through that, I wasn't a victim. Don't claim to be a victim because I let's just say he uh, left the house and um, he wasn't feeling too well when he left the house because I will not be a victim. So I went to school part time and I worked two jobs and I got it done. I tell people when, if you're familiar with the uh, this, the soap opera, uh, not soap opera, but the sitcom, A, D- a Different World, and it was about a, a black colleges where st- uh, kids were going there, and, and there was a character named Jalisa. When I was going to Illinois State University, they used to call me Jalisa because I shared a dorm room with three other students, and I was what they called a returning adult. I was 29 years old when I went back to college and stayed in the dorm. And my daughter was being raised by her grandparents so I could get it done. But that's what that is what is necessary. Stop waiting for other people to get it done. Now, other people can help and they want to help and they will help. But as I said to my daughter, if people see you working, they'll help you. But if you're sitting there with your hands stuck out, they won't. So I. You brought up a ton of questions, neither of which I wrote down, but we're going to address them real quick. Okay. Um, so a lot of people are looking for the city to, you know, reinvigorate the South Side. Uh, that's what they're looking for all the District 1 candidates to do. That's what, you know, they, they expect you to do and anybody else that is elected behind you. But so would you suggest that a lot of the... a lot of the blight, a lot of the struggle within the 1st District rest on the shoulders of those that live there uh, as opposed to the city? No, I wouldn't. I know. I think I know what you're asking. And no, I wouldn't say that. The, 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 let me see. You're not saying anything that nobody else hasn't said before, but I'm just trying to get, I'm just trying to gauge your perspective. um, Wrong or right, left or wrong or right, left or right, up or down. Just like, okay. Like, is it like the city is doing what it can with the resources it's given, but we also have to make sure that the people, the citizens that live within the first district are doing their share too. And maybe the city doesn't feel like it's being met halfway with the citizens that live. Oh, no, no, no. no. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. When I moved to 05, I didn't think the city was doing enough. In fact, I didn't think the city was doing much at all. And that is why I started working um, in 2002, the city had a, a, a series of charrettes, and I was involved with those charrettes. Charrettes are opportunities for residents to come together and talk about different aspects of our community and what needs to be changed and, and, and provide suggestions. And so when we built our house over here um, across from Valeska Hinton School in 2002, 2003, uh, the, the city was, was absent without leave. 
Now, in that particular project where I live, they provided some some vacant lots. But if you looked through the rest of the South Side, they were absent. And, and I couldn't figure out why they were absent. And so I'm not one to always say, well, you know, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. I get involved. So I got involved. But but, but you mentioned in, like I said, just I, I just want to kind of address that even for people watching. You said that, you know, at the end of the day, one has to get up and get out there. You mentioned you having two jobs. You mentioned you taking it upon yourself to get back in college and to have two jobs. And, you know, you did your thing and you took a, a accountability for yourself. And you even brought the family dynamic in there, left your husband and things like that, drop my water. But so what, what, what would you like to see the citizens of the South Side do with respect to that comment? Well, you know what? They're doing it now. In 2011, uh, before I even thought about running for city council, in 2011, um, there were a group of, of folk who found out that the city was taking money out of a TIF that existed that the citizens, me included, because I lived over here, didn't know that there was $9 million in that TIF. And they were taking money out of that TIF. You know, Chris is smiling because he remembers. Mm -hmm. They were taking money out of that TIF to give to the Pierre Marquette project. So that's 2011. When that group, I think that was the, the, the point when I saw folks on the South Side said, hold up, wait a minute. This is not going to happen. And from that point on, it was like the veil was lifted. And ever since then, there's been a strong push that I have seen. Uh, there has always been a push by individuals since I've lived on the South Side. But in, it seemed like in 2011, that coalesced to a, a group of people who said, no, we're not going to let this happen anymore. And so to your point, the city has a responsibility to take care of its residents. We, uh, you pay taxes for us to do just that. You deserve to have those taxes come back to your community to improve your community. If it is not coming back to your community and you sit on your hands and say nothing, there's a problem. But now that people have started talking about it, I believe there's, there are more people excited about this race, as you both have indicated earlier, than in the last two races. And that's a wonderful thing. Because we need to always question and keep in check those people who have our money in their checkbook. So, so I, I hate to belabor the topic, but like, it, do you feel like, I mean, when you mentioned that you can, and when you mentioned that the citizens, regardless of district, can't sit back and wait on the city, what have you seen that would suggest that some people may have? been doing that and what do you suggest that people need to do from a citizen standpoint a community standpoint that the city just can't uh um that the city can't do for them i guess well so here's the thing i think where, where you're going is that when you are in a in another part of town and you have a job that pays you real money and or you have a business that pays you real money of course you have the wherewithal here on the in the first district and particularly on the south side that opportunity has not presented itself. We've not presented the citizens of the South Side with the opportunity to get a real livable wage job. I'm not talking about, you know, something that's less than $15 an hour. And $15 an hour, if you want to buy a house, you can make $15 an hour and your wife can make $15 an hour. And that may still be a problem. And so the city, in my opinion, has not done enough to provide the resources to provide proper training 
and certifications in IT, for example, to allow individuals to make the wage, to have the money to do what they need to do. So no, I'm not suggesting that people on the South side are sitting on their hands. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I'm suggesting is that the city can do better in providing the resources. Businesses and organizations can do better in providing the resources. Let me give you one example. And you know, forgive me because it's a self-serving example. Um, I started the Minority Business Development Center. And here we provide training for business development that is being sponsored by the local community action agency. So what that says is that if you are at a certain income level, you can come here and get that training and not pay a dime. We are also launching an IT training program. If you are, are low income, we have sponsorships where you can come here and get that training and it won't cost you a dime. On the other side of that training is a national certification that you come out of class making $15 and $18 an hour after a six-week class. Where else can you get that done? So what I'm suggesting is this business has a responsibility to the community that we serve. And other businesses in this district, on this part of town, have a responsibility to those who they serve. Uh, last question real quick um, before I let Chris get back in here. Um, the 24-7 article um, and, sub and subsequent articles relating to the downhill narrative that um, that Peoria has had as of late, did that article surprise you at all? And a lot of it, what they mentioned is the 61605 area code, District 1. So it seems as if from their angle of writing that a lot of the reason why they put us on that list is due to District 1. Did that surprise you at all? And um, yeah, what were your thoughts? No, I wasn't surprised at all. In fact, I don't think anybody who has has eyes or brain was surprised by that. Now, there were some people in this town that were surprised by that. Now, that surprised me that there were people in this town that were surprised by that. Just living here and looking around, as I said, we moved here in 2002, 2003. Well, my husband had been here since 1976. When we got married in 95, uh, we lived in Bloomington and then he moved me here. So when I came here in 2000, and I think we occupied our house in 2002. So that's 2002. The first 24-7 Wall Street article came out in, I believe it was 2015. So we've been here now 13 years living on this part of town. So when that article came out, it was like, that was a big duh. So no, it wasn't surprising to me at all. It spoke the truth. It spoke to the truth in a way that, um, other people, okay, other people could understand it. Okay. Hey, going off of that, uh, you recall one of the outgrowths of those first one or two 24-7 articles was that the city spent thousands of dollars to bring in the National Resource Network. They spent months here doing their study and, and making their determinations. You and I and a, a crowd of 65 other people sat in the gateway building and listened to some of those proposals that came out of that. The, the main one being that there needed to be a lead agency coordinating to tackle these big problems on the South side one at a time. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we had Mayor Artis on and he agreed during, during our back and forth with him that there were some follow through issues there, that there wasn't enough accountability afterward with some concrete action items that came out of that. Do you agree with that assessment, and if so, 
or if not, as the first district representative during that time, what have you been doing to keep the focus on those must-do elements on that report? So, yeah, I would agree that um, that there was, an, not, there was not enough follow-through, not because the people who came to those meetings didn't want to follow through, but uh, if you notice, the last few years we've been cutting the budget, and the people who would have normally been able to follow through on those things were eliminated. So whether that was by accident or by design, uh, there was nobody there. So I didn't wait for that to come back. I started doing my own, um, building my own network. Uh, I brought in a developer from Chicago. Um, Being from Chicago originally, some of you may have heard of, and a lot of people here in Peoria are from Chicago, but there used to be a notorious development there called Cabrini Green. It was part of the public housing projects. And this developer was the one who went in and he took all that down. There now, there's a, there's a target there now. Unfortunately, there's a lot of gentrification there now too, because where you could have lived for six, $700 a month, they've got high price condos that $2,000 is, is no big deal. So I brought that developer here he wasn't the one with the $2,000 condo and the gentrification. He had the master plan and his company to make all that happen. So although this meeting that you're referring to kind of fell on rocks, I took the seeds from that and I'm building upon that right now. He is back in town. He came back in town in early 2020, late 2019. We are working with PCCEO. We're trying to develop with PCCO. You talked about that lead organization to take charge. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that the council will agree to allow PCCO to be that lead organization in our in a um, developmental pro, um, proposal that we're putting together that says that they will help direct this activity. You know, you may know that PCCO built several um, thousand homes already. You know, they, they have a development called Opara and Opara 2. They were the lead developer on the Spring Grove subdivision. They know how to get this done as far as housing is concerned. The developer knows how to get it done as far as businesses are concerned. You know, there are things that he's looking at to bring to MacArthur Highway that because it's a private developer and he's told me his private thoughts, they're not plans, they're not proposals, their supposal. Suppose we did this. He's taking this document, which the community chimed in on. So this is the this is the playbook the community told me that they approved of. So I'm using this community playbook to try to bring in people, private investment, so that you're not talking about more taxes to pay for this. You're talking about private investment using their own money and the city collaborating on properties we already own. Okay. All right. I, I, I've i got one more question that, that I want to hit you with. And then I, I think we're coming up on the point that we're going to do some some audience questions, too. So for everybody who's listening in, if you don't have questions put into the live feed for us, please start to get those in now. Uh, we've talked a lot about the South Side and I, I can't let you go before. I also ask you about one question on the Valley, uh, which is some of your opinions on Councilman Kelly's proposal for tax abatements for the residential improvements up in the Valley. Is that a viable plan or do you still have concerns about it? 
What I have seen of that plan in other areas is called gentrification. And let me tell you what gentrification is. Gentrification is when some fat cat comes in with a lot of money and buys up the houses and maybe your house is valued at $20,000 and they give you 25 or 30. Maybe your house is valued at 100 and they give you 120 because they have a plan that they have not shared with you. One of the things I've asked Councilman Kelly and I've not gotten a, a sufficient response is who's in the wings waiting for this to be approved to come in and scrape the North Valley, certain sections of the North Valley, and bring in these high-priced condos, and then people can't live there the way they live there now. So my concern with that is that uh, two things. One part of it is you're removing properties that are part of the East Village growth cell TIF, where right now those people in those those properties can right now go and get money out of the TIF to improve their their properties. Once, if this is enacted, that goes away. So one of the things you will always hear Councilman Kelly says, oh, it won't cost you a dime. It won't cost the city anything. You just do this and it won't cost you anything. Really? When it was the last time you went and, and bought something or signed up for something that didn't cost you something? Read the fine print. It hasn't happened in the state of Illinois for decades. The examples he points to are in other states and other states in Illinois are two different places. And so whenever I hear somebody says, oh, it won't cost you anything, it reminds me of somebody else who said, what the heck do you have to lose if you'd elect, elect me? I'm not falling for it. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night, and I'm not falling for that. Okay. I think we're going to shift over now to, uh, to some audience questions. Uh, first audience question comes from... Uh, Jonathan, he says, Peoria, particularly District 1, is experiencing growing issues with access to fresh foods, um, food deserts with Save-A-Lot closing, as well as the shuttering of several other grocery stores in, in the area. What will you do to improve this issue? Well, I want to remind Jonathan, I'm the reason Save-A-Lot Save came here in the first place. When Aldi closed, they closed in December of, of 2013. And from that point forward, I had city staff to talk to every grocer in the region. They told us no. They told us no twice. Save-A-Lot was one of those who told us no twice. We sent them all kinds of demographics and how people need food and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know what came back to us? We are a for-profit business. We're not a not-for-profit. We have to make money wherever we go. That's what they said. We finally convinced Save-A-Lot. I said, you know what? The, the people in the community says, you know, they will support you. They need you. We just need you to come here. And you know, if you come here, we'll provide you whatever kind of resources you need. They came and then they left. They left because when I called the corporate offices, we had a long conversation. They, and they said it wasn't crime. It wasn't theft. You know, there is theft in every retail store. I had a retail store for 10 years. Uh, part most of that time in Bloomington Normal and then three years down here on the riverfront. So there's theft. Okay, it's part of doing business. But it wasn't the kind of theft that drove them away. What drove them away was that between the time Aldi left and Save-A-Lot came in, people found other ways to get where they needed to be. After Aldi opened, excuse me, after Save-A-Lot opened, you had Dollar General built right across the street from the ground up. Dollar General is a direct competitor of Save-A-Lot. Down the street, you had Family Dollar open. 
You had the Save-A-Lot, you had the ShopRite Plaza starting to do some different things. And so to answer your question, Jonathan, what are we doing? Cities, and I've checked, there is no city or municipality in downstate Illinois that that I've been able to find that owns a grocery store. It doesn't happen with the city. So what we're trying to do is incentivize other grocers uh, and do something different. Let me tell you what I'm talking about as far as groceries and different. I was contacted after December meeting by Save-A-Lot because they thought they heard us talking about the potential of that old Audi building. And they said to me, you know, we're already offering delivery service for free to Taft Homes and to Harrison Homes. We would love to be able to do that there on Western as well. I said, okay, great. Now, if you can get them coming to deliver, now these, and someone said to me, well, you know, you know, people in, this, in 05, you know, they can't, you know, high V is expensive and, and, and they can't, you know, afford high V. I said, wait a minute, what kind of elitist are you? Just because a person lives on a certain part of town, if they spend their money and all, say, all high V is doing is delivering, then why are you going to say that they can't afford to, to shop? You know, poor people can shop wherever they want to shop. Is their money? And so to Jonathan's point, what we are doing, Jonathan, is trying to bring in a save lot to say, hey, look at what we're doing. I've got two individuals. One I showed a property to uh, last week. He has contacts with grocers. He said to me, let's talk. There's another person right here in Peoria who has contacts with grocers. They want to talk. But the key here is site control because a new grocer is not going to come in and spend all the money to build a building just to leave in a year. Thank you for your question. I think that's the last uh, question we have right now. I want to ask you another question before we head on into the lightning round. Um, Well, two part question with regards to the grocery store with uh, Jonathan, do you suggest that, do you think we need another grocery store or is there all the alternatives that you might be uh, thinking of that might, you know, some people mentioned co-op. I've heard some people say, you know, it's people from other districts that are suggesting this one necessarily needs a grocery store down there. Do district, does district one want a grocery store? Do they want to go to East Peoria? Like what, what, what are the different ideas that you have as, as far as making sure that district one is getting food? Well, I've heard about the co-op option. Um, the, the, the co-op people never materialized. There was a lot of conversation around that. Uh, you look over to Bloomington Normal, they have a co-op option over there, but the amount of buy-in to the co-op option in Bloomington Normal may be cost prohibitive. So I need to see that plan come forward. Um, people have found ways to find groceries. Uh, like I gave you the example, Audi left, Two and a half years before Save-A-Lot came in, people figured out how to get it done. I think that, uh, let me rephrase that. When What I have heard from people who live in that area is that, yeah, they would like to have a grocery store. Even though you have convenience stores around, the convenience stores are not as convenient when they the, the prices are higher, the quality is less. When you're talking about um, fresh fruits and vegetables, that doesn't exist. I mean, fortunately, we had um, see, uh, we had uh, U- UFS when Aldi closed and then Save a Lot left. USF stepped up to the plate and they started a grocery section there, a grocery section there, and they brought in some some vegetables that lasted longer. 
but we they needed to have people continuing to come in there. So I believe that there is a need based upon what I'm being told by the community. There is a need. I don't do anything unless the community directs me to. And they are directing me to a grocery store. The primary purpose of that building on Western is a grocery store. But in the meantime, we've got retail folks at the retail level who would love to have a, a brick and mortar. They can't afford it, but they can rent a space in that. We can bring retail in there. We can bring health um, and wellness programs in there. We can bring uh, University of Illinois Extension to do cooking programs in there to show you how to, to what do you do with a kumquat? How do you make a Brussels sprout? Those are the things that we need because our community is suffering. Before we get to the lightning round, I want to follow up on that real quickly to to clarify that you you say the primary use of that spot on Western is a grocery store. Is that realistic if having the Dollar General and the Family Dollar nearby helped encourage Save-A-Lot to pull the plug on that space sooner? Is it realistic to expect that that can thrive in that spot as a grocery store again? Your question suggests, is it realistic to tell the people of the South Side that they don't deserve to have a grocery store? And I think it is realistic to provide a, to provide the folks. No, that, 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 that's not what I'm suggesting in yeah, the slider. Yeah. Absolutely well, not. I'm, I'm saying, is that the spot that the city should be targeting to put a grocery store in or to say that building's primary purpose should be a grocery store, or is there a different spot we need to be looking instead so that one doesn't come in and then pull up stakes after a year? Because the last thing we want is to go through that again. Well, let me put it like this. I know people who live on Western who travel to Haddad's. Mm -hmm. What does that suggest to you? There's demand there. There's demand there. mm -hmm. So if the community is saying that they want it, they are passing that location right now to go to Haddad's and to go to some of these high-priced uh, convenience stores or to go across the river or to go over to Sterling, uh, to Kroger, or to go over to, to, to Hy-Vee on Sheridan. If folks are seeing that's what they want, you give the people what they want. They put me here to give them what they want. I listen to them and I put together a plan to give them what they want. Okay, well, we, we, we got to get to the lightning round because we do have follow-up uh, candidates that we have to get to. Sure. Um, me and Chris could go all night. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Easy. Um, so what this is going to be is a series of questions where you're going to uh, answer rapid fire, uh, either or, or qu- uh, quick answer. You ready? I'm going to give you a minute and 26 seconds. I feel like we should be able to do it in that time. Um, so we're going to see. All right. The beach or the mountains? The beach, of course. Apple or Android? Apple. Old Mall or New Mall? Ooh. Old Mall. Western or MacArthur? I can't take a choice. No, I won't do that. I'm not. Heels or sneakers? Sneakers. A Different World of Family Matters. A Different World. Mariah Carey or Janet Jackson. Oh, Janet, what have you done for me lately? Wine or whiskey? I don't drink. Favorite local restaurant? Ooh, oh, Smoking Pit. Avanti's or Jimmy John's? Avanti's. Math or science? Math. 
Red or blue? Well, I love red, but my grandson loves blue, so I'll say blue. Facebook or Instagram? Neither. <laughs> Rumburgers or Herald? Oh, Rumburgers. Favorite basketball player out of Peoria? William, Frankie. Frankie's the guy. Who do you endorse for mayor? Who do I endorse for mayor? The person that can get the job done. You beat it by four seconds. And you didn't answer like three of them joints. So, I mean, it, you made it happen. You made it happen. You made it happen. Outstanding. You know how I make it happen? Because I come prepared. I always come prepared. You do your homework, you get prepared, you win the test, you, you, you pass the test. But you still don't know if you want to travel down MacArthur or Western. So you got you, you got you got to drive both of them. You got I, you, you know, know what? what I choose, but I'm asking the questions. I'm on both of those streets so much every day. It's kind of it's hard. Understood. Understood. Well, look, we appreciate your time. We appreciate you uh, pulling up and uh, answering some questions as far as your candidacy for re-election. You know what? I put in a lot of work. Go to my website www.more4peoria.com. Don't listen to me. Check whatever somebody tells you, check it. Don't don't lean on what they say. You check it. Because too minute too much in this society, we've gone on, well, our, my friend says such such a thing. Well, does your friend really know or does your friend really just making this stuff up? So I would just if I would leave one last word with your listeners, I would say trust but verify. People can say anything they want. My record is an open book. I am easy to find. And my record is an open book. I hope you decide to check me out because I put in the work for you and I plan to continue that as long as you let me. Okay. Excellent. Thank you, you, City Councilwoman Janice Moore. And we are going to, in a moment here, bring on uh, Aaron Chess, who is making his second run for City Council, this time running for First District. Aaron, thank you for coming in tonight. Hey, Hey, everybody. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Mr. Chess, Mr. Chess. So uh, you're becoming a familiar face in politics. As Chris mentioned, this is your second go round. You ran for mm-hmm. at last time, made it to the general election, but fell short. Now you're back asking voters to put you in for first district. Why? Yeah. Um, and it's simply because born and raised in the first district all my life, just seeing, you know, the neglect and the thing that the things that my family and friends dealt with from, uh, food deserts to no opportunities to losing friends and family to census gun violence and to the criminal justice system and just feeling like there's no hope um and have and years and years leading up even until my run for at large just hearing people complain about the state of our city the conditions that it's in and what can we do better i took up on myself to run then and i'm running now because i believe um if we had the, if we had great leadership that i wouldn't be running for office um, for this first district city council seat. Um, and I believe I'm the one that's going to uh, bring change and bring hope and prosperity back to a community that's, that's been needing it for uh, a very, very long time. Uh, you're running up against two other candidates. Uh, one just left from Denise Moore, the other than Denise Jackson, twice your age. So it's a given that they have twice your career experience. Uh, by all accounts, you're just getting started because you're a young guy. What do you think qualifies you to lead District 1 uh, amidst two other candidates that are arguably um, qualified with regard to a resume, having a longer resume? Uh, easily. Um, I can start a dialogue with anyone. I can connect with my generation. I can connect with uh, the older generation. 
um, especially my youth is an advantage uh, because I'm able to start these dialogues, especially with a lot of people say invest in our youth. And that's a, one of the main messages that I'm running off. Um, and I understand what our youth are dealing with, the high crime rates. Most of the crimes are being committed by our youth. And I'm being able to, you know, have a seat at the table and use my platform to the best of my ability to be able to speak up for our youth, get the resources they need to make sure that uh, no more of our young boys are uh, being sent off to, you know, jail or prison, uh, throwing their life away, but instead uh, helping the different mentoring programs, helping the, uh, the community centers with getting these opportunities back in place, just like I used to be, to ensure that we're no longer using, losing our young people uh, to to the to the streets or uh, to jail, and also with uh, investing back in our communities, such as you know infrastructure. Um, I recently just launched a small business advisory board where I invited over uh, twenty plus business owners from the first district to come and participate, and I got got a lot of great feedback on that. Um, in which we're coming up with a plan to help reshape the business side of our first district to help bring jobs back to help bring revenue back into our communities. Um, I'm gonna have more of those, the plans with that coming in the next coming weeks. Okay, uh, let me start you off with uh, with this one for me. It, it's a uh, fill in the blank, but go as long as you want to explain it. This, what is the biggest thing Peoria City government could do immediately to help improve the South Side? I would say, investing back in our communities. The first district, the South Side, North Valley. Uh, during, along my campaign trail, I have you know talked to a lot of residents, community leaders, uh, ministers, pastors, clergies, and the number one thing they told me is that they feel as if city officials, our elected officials in City Hall, aren't transparent. And that's the reason why our communities are in the shape they are right now. And my plan, the Buy the Block, buy the block Initiative, um, it's a plan that helps with revitalizing our community. It helps with partnering with the trades unions, help with partnering with uh, different organizations to help put our young men and women back to work, especially on the verge of graduating high school, getting those young men and women the certifications and apprenticeships needed to be able to participate in these programs to help revitalize the vacant homes that's been uh, a problem for decades, vacant businesses that have been sitting uh, in terrible conditions that still resalvageable and turning those into essential centers that we can house our, our mom and pop shops. We can hold, house essential services that we've been missing in our community. And especially uh, with the Harrison School and McKinley School, two schools that have been closed down for a very long time. But because of the location where they're located, if it was out north, they would have been torn down. But because of the lack of representation and the neglect that the first district has faced for many years, those buildings remain to remain standing and it's a shame and uh when i gave my announcement speech back, back in july 4th i uh held my press conference on the steps of harrison school and i vowed to make sure that we will demolish those schools demolish any vacant buildings that are no longer salvageable for our communities because now they become a health hazard uh to not only the community members but our firefighters it's so bad i met with uh representatives from the fire department to get a better understanding if something was to happen or a little kid or children were to run in there and there was a fire. It's so bad that the fire department couldn't even step foot in there because of how bad and decayed the building has gotten. 
Okay, Nate, let, let me follow up on on that specifically with regard to the the schools because you know but both of those are are privately owned now. Mm-hmm. So how how do you either induce the owner to sell those so that they can be knocked down and the property redeveloped or you know how how do you otherwise you know go after it by way of, of code violations in a way that's not also going to get you the city sued for yeah. specifically targeting a location like that when there there's other structures that that have similar difficulties that the city isn't going after how, how do you how do you do that yeah. without saying oh you're singling me out on this because yeah. that, that's sure to get the city sued well this is an issue that i've been following prior to making my announcement for first district um, and it's an issue that's currently in the courts that's in the hearing uh, already um to pretty much give the it's in court for the cities you know pretty much to take ownership back from this property because the owner uh from my knowledge he stays down in florida and uh, he purchased the building for a dollar and, and since then it's been hard to get in contact with him um so to answer your question we got a whole uh these property owners that buy uh plots of land and buildings and homes in our in the first district accountable we can no longer allow them to just buy property and let it decay because it just makes our neighborhood looks bad, make them look horrible. And it's bad to uh, to the point where you want to attract businesses to come and locate it in your area because it's just like the broken window theory. If your surrounding areas are horrible, why would why would a, a Kroger's or Audi's or, you know, a big franchise grocery store want to move back? It all starts mm-hmm. with rebuilding our infrastructure from the uh, from the bottom up. So, so does that mean we need more code enforcement? Does that mean we need to concentrate more code enforcement on, on the south end to address those? Because you know, if, if we're we're going to be taking it seriously with, with all the locations that are having yeah. those problems, does that mean we need to add more staff and then find a way to pay for it? Does that mean we need to take away the work that they're doing in, in the other four districts? How, how, do you, how do you have that hammer of, of the enforcement? Yeah, I believe we need more court code enforcement. Um, in the last couple of months, I've sat down with various members of the city council, uh, heads of different departments around the city, and I've brought this topic to um, head on, brought it to the table, and I said, uh, "Not it's not coming from me. It's coming from the constituents who are frustrated that live in these surrounding areas that they're tired of seeing this, and ju- and because of you know the lack of transparency from the incumbent that we have, they're frustrated. They don't know who to talk to." And I want to I want to work with them doing whatever we can to ensure that we can uh, make sure we're holding these accountable. So uh, so be it that we have stricter code violations to ensure that our community is going to look better and not look like a third world country. So be it. And uh, I promise my constituents. And that's something that I'm going to fight very hard for. Uh, it seems like a lot of people in the first district or just in the city in general, even the people that write around, write about PR and they target the first district, um, there seems to be some impatience there maybe with regard to getting things done. What would you say is the most doable shovel shovel ready thing that can be done on the South side that hasn't been done that is a part of your agenda? I'll say uh, we talk about the food desert crisis. Um, there's already a great program in place called Peoria Grown. A great group of volunteers that's uh, putting in place a mobile market. Well, this last summer and last year, they 
put together a mobile market where they visit areas such as the Taft Home, Harrison Homes, uh, and majority uh, communities, the communities in the um, poverty-stricken areas, and they deliver nutritious food to these families, especially to our elderly uh, community re residents who don't have time to, you know, wait two hours on a bus or take that two-hour bus ride. Um, so uh, to answer your question, I'll say investing in uh, programs like this that are already, they already have the game plan and making sure that we're uh, able to get food to these families that are in need and, you know, don't want to have their children eating at uh, liquor stores, candy, candy bars and chips every night, but instead providing that safe, nutritious option. Um, so definitely investing in programs like that. With, um, with regard to the uh, the grocery store, uh, and you mentioned the uh, the, the mobile uh, the mobile units, um, do you think that a brick and mortar grocery store is what's needed on the south end, or do you think there should be some alternatives that can be done to be a permanent fix to what people are calling the food desert down there? Yeah, I, I say right now, um, and I tell a lot of people this: um, before we start looking at what big franchise grocery store we got, we want to bring in we. We got to invest in mom and pop shops. We got to encourage residents because there's a lot of entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs in the first district that, you know, they have the motivation, they have the drive, but most of the time they don't have the resources or they don't have the networking to be able to connect with possible mentors that can help uh, open up their businesses that could be the next mom and pop shop that can be the source of food to feed these families. Okay. Uh, I I want to ask you something that that I asked the incumbent a little earlier as well, uh, which is this: mm. certainly that there, there's a lot of needs, whether it, it's infrastructure repairs for road and sidewalk, business development, dealing with with vacant properties or dilapidated properties. There, there's a lot of needs on the south side and elsewhere in the first district, and some of those needs exist greater here than in other parts of the city. But if you're elected, you've got to deal with, with four other district council people who are advocating for projects in their districts and with an at-large council that, that disproportionately represents other areas of the city that aren't the South End. How do you work with them to get six votes together for your projects for things on the South Side when, when they're fighting to get the same money for their projects too. Yeah. How do you convince them to go with your projects? Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, I started the task of meeting uh, with my future colleagues. I've met with uh, probably four members of the council so far and, you know, building those relationships and telling them, you know, my goal. And they agreed that the first district is overlooked. And I, and I tell them about the, uh, by the black by the block program, how it can you know not only be beneficial for uh, the first district, but it can be beneficial for the third district as well. Um, the East Bluff, where there's more of the same things, and just uh, bringing these initiatives that I do have and uh, telling you know showing them that we can collaborate, we can we can come up with a compromise to ensure that you know not only is my district being overlooked, but if you feel if your, if your district is getting over being overlooked too that we're going to make sure that no longer that we are no longer uh, having to uh, go back to our constituents and tell them that, oh, we, we can't get money for this specific program or project because it's going out to fifth district, but instead coming together, compromising on, 
you know, essential needs for the citizens of Peoria, because at the end of the day, um, and I'm sure every person that's serving on that council wants to see what's best for the citizens of Peoria. Okay. Uh, you've also, and I, I was taking a look at some of your questionnaires, you, you've been really critical of fees that have been hitting small businesses throughout the city and in particular small businesses in South Peoria. So it, what specific ones are you talking about there? You know, we, I know the two largest fees that, that any resident of the city has to deal with are the public safety pension fee and the stormwater fee. So you know, I, I assume that, that those are probably on your list. How, how would yeah. you pay for those programs otherwise? Yeah. Uh, so as I, as I tell people, the, the pension fee uh, is going to take working with our elected officials down in Springfield. That's a Springfield issue. Uh, that's something that I'm willing to, you know, work on to ensure that we can bring down uh, how much, you know, how much we're paying into those fees um, to ensure that you know our citizens aren't being overtaxed they're not having to pay all these fees because that is what's causing a lot of our residents to relocate especially to southern states um, and we're seeing a lot of businesses leaving because of the high property tax property taxes and um, it's not good we got the rep representation of not being business friendly and um, just as you mentioned uh, I'm frustrated with the fees, especially for the small businesses, because the small businesses are the backbone of our city. We got to ensure that we're invested in them before we invest in a big corporation. If it's not if, what I believe, if it's not founded in Peoria or doing anything to benefit Peoria, keep revenue, then that shouldn't be our main priority. Our main priority is to support those small business owners that are sacrificing everything to be able to live their dream and, you know, bring some uh, revenue back into their communities. It, let, let, let me follow up on the, the pension fee for a, yeah. for a second. Because that, that's kind of the answer that we've had from people running for council and people on the council for decades, that mm. it, it just needs to be something that, that Springfield addresses. And I, I want to ask you two things about that. Number one, what's the specific plan you want to go to them with to advocate to address it? And number two, how are you going to convince them to do that if they already passed downstate pension consolidation a couple of years ago, knowing that the legislature tends not to take a second bite at something within a few years mm. after doing something the first time? What's the pitch to get them to do more than they've already done? Yeah. Um, so to answer your first, well, kind of answer it all together. Uh, what I plan to do, and I'm sure other members of the council um, and members of other municipality governments feel the same way. They're uh, frustrated because they're, you know, they're hearing complaints about from their constituents about the high pension fees. And so if I have to start in a coalition of uh, municipal leaders to go to Springfield and advocate and tell them, um, and I'm sure they see our elected officials down in Springfield, see what the many reports that the people of Illinois, and especially in my district, are frustrated. And that's the reason why we're, we're, we're losing a lot of people. And we got to ensure that we can keep our people, especially our youth, uh, when they leave off to college. Uh, I know the question I was always asked, how can we uh, retain those, those people? And it's simple. We got to uh, change our ways. We got to work together. We got to be transparent with, transparent with the people. 
Uh, a lot of people talk about, as you mentioned, making pure and more business friendly. I think that's uh, something that's been echoed over the last couple of years and probably mm-hmm. will still remain into the future. But what does that what does that mean? How do you how do you make Peoria more business friendly? And then once you situate that, how do you lure other uh, businesses to consider setting up shop within uh, within the communities? Mm. So the especially with the high taxes, I believe we cannot no longer uh, raise any more taxes because it's it's nailing a uh, it's nailing a nail in the coffin and. Uh, it's not looking good if we keep doing it. I'm hearing it from uh, residents. I'm hearing it from uh, business business leaders from the community, and I'm hearing it from community leaders. What we got to do is to, to make it more business friendly. As I said, no longer raising the taxes. We got to start investing in them. I know uh, the city of Peoria has been doing a great job with their- so, prom- sorry, I'm sorry, start investing in what? Our small businesses. Okay. And I know they've been doing a, a, a great promotion for small business Saturdays, but instead of that one particular day, uh, we should be promoting small businesses every day, especially right now with COVID. Um, it's definitely going to be hard. And uh, talking to a few uh, business owners last week, a part of my uh, small business advisory board, they don't, right as of now, they don't know if they can be able to be, uh, bounce back from uh you know, the cuts that they took from uh, not being able to be open due to due to COVID. And so right now, what it takes is finding the resources to uh, ensure that we can help keep them afloat. And it's going to take, like I said, working with uh, not only city officials, state officials and our uh, legislators in Washington. And, and what would you do or do you even have a, a mind to try to lure other businesses into the uh, city of Peoria to bring jobs and things like that? Once it's made more friendly, how do you how do you sell Peoria? Yeah, so Peoria, we have a great riverfront. We have a great uh, chance to do something big. And an idea that I do have is, uh, let's say, with the Festival of Lights, a lot of people go to the Festival of Lights. And in Chicago, they have something called Crystal. Crinsco Town, um, it's like a little Christmas shopping plaza. So utilizing our riverfront for that, it's bringing in that revenue, it's bringing in tourism, and it's allowing for people to see how beautiful our riverfront is, and not just for uh, for Christmas time, but all you know, in, even in the summer, um, ensuring that we're uh, we keep on promoting our um, farmers market. Uh, we're doing more things to attract. Um, different people here and um, definitely uh, as I mentioned with the communities making sure that they're looking good they're looking up to par that we're investing in our infrastructure heavily that we're uh, making sure that we're keeping up in our community in our communities with our homes with our roads and uh, with our buildings because if as I mentioned if that doesn't look attractable if it looks like a third a third world country then you're not going to get anyone let's say we want to get someone from out of town to try to relocate to peoria we got to definitely um invest invest as a community and invest as a, a city back into our neighborhoods okay uh, let me let me ask you uh, about investing in some of those neighborhoods and and solicit your opinions on Councilman Kelly's proposal for tax abatements on residential improvements to homes in the North Valley area. What, what do you think about that as a notion? 
Yeah, I, I met with uh, Councilman Kelly actually back in September before he brought uh, the motion to the floor on the council. And I told him that I would, that is something that I would like to get feedback from my constituents on. Uh, and I've been doing that a lot of people, especially on the North Valley, uh, when I'm pushing my buy the block initiative to, uh, to ensure that, you know, we're going to bring hope and prosperity back into these communities and um, asking them, you know, are you familiar with the tax abatement plan that was put into store? And at this point, community members, they're, they're eager to, you know, want to get development going. They don't want to move. They want uh, different attractions inside their neighborhood. And I even told Councilman Kelly, um, and he told me that with his tax abatement, it would not involve, uh, relocating or gentrifying our neighborhoods, but helping with the development similar to my buy the black buy the block program. Uh, and that's promoting rehab rehabilitation to these communities that's been neglected uh, for so long. So to your question, I'm not going to shoot it down that I wouldn't support it. Uh, it's something that I told her I want to continue to talk on, hear more about it and uh, just and just uh, trying to ensure that, you know, we're doing something positive for the first district. We're not uh, running our community. We're not relocating them, but instead helping them, giving them, if, if we have to, helping them with, their with the resources and opportunities to help, help them grow and not to uh, stay in the same position that they were a year ago, but to ensure that they're growing and they're able to, and they're able to be successful and able to you know, help with this project and uh, either working on the developments as community members. Uh, sorry about that or um, ensuring that, yes, sorry, I lost my train of thought. So ensuring that, um, you know, we're making our community just look fantastic, look wonderful instead of the conditions that they're in right now, uh, but definitely pushing uh, self-entrepreneurship. That's something that I'm pushing, self-financial literacy, uh, helping, the, helping the community members, especially uh, in the black community. A lot of, you know, our people, um, aren't familiar with how to establish credit, how to uh, do these certain things. And so uh, bringing together all of these uh, programs and uh, organizations that's good with, with that, uh, bringing them, hosting them at uh, different community centers to ensure uh, that we're helping them understand, you know, how important it is to uh, definitely establish a credit and uh, take pride in their community and become homeowners. Okay. Let me let me ask you, too, about an area of town that, that we haven't really talked about that's in the first district, which is the downtown area. Mm. Uh, and, and I want to ask you about a, a specific area there that, that deals with with some of these these same issues that we've touched on elsewhere, both business development, dealing with with a blighted area that that's got code problems to it. Mm. And, you know, you may have guessed by now I'm talking about the Madison Theater downtown. Mm. Mm. Yeah. What, what what would you do as a councilman to get that back as, as something active that's being yeah. developed? Because that, that seems like it, it's the link to a large part of that, that two-block stretch there yeah. that could be activated if that weren't sitting vacant with nothing done with a, a fire marshal's report that's five years overdue on the fire that was there. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a great question. I actually met with Mayor Artis last week um, and we talked about uh, the Madison Theater. We talked about how downtown used to be. And I was telling him how 
Uh, I'm not sure if you guys seen it. There was a video on Facebook. Um, it was made in the 80s, and it was comparing Peoria to New York. And that video, uh, it made world news. And that gave me inspiration and hope to uh, be able to build our downtown better. And with the Madison Theater, as I told him, I would love to see it uh, back up to par because I believe that would bring in revenue. But in order to do that, we got to make sure the surrounding areas, those those empty storefronts on Main Street, uh, we are putting businesses back inside of those. Peoria, that the downtown, that strip area can be a big nightlife, especially for our youth, especially for the, the citizens of Peoria. Uh, and it used to be a long time ago, but uh, since then we've seen businesses disperse, close down. And I believe we can get back to that. It's going to take, as I keep saying, investing. Uh, and with the Madison Theater and with the Civic Center uh, and with the Pierre Marquette, these are, you know, tourist attractions. These are people from from Chicago to St. Louis and from over the Midwest will come to visit because it gives you that mid. It will give you that Midwest type of environment. Uh Letting everybody know. Also, we're going to get to some audience questions shortly. So if you have some questions, I see them starting to populate. If you have any questions, please uh, shoot them in the comments. And we are definitely going to address all of them with uh, with Aaron Chess. Now, a um, couple months ago, you had some backlash. Uh, you attended a Trump rally and it was uh, it was a firestorm and backlash and everything else. But in the end, Trump lost at the same time. Obviously, you woke up this morning. Trump was president. You're going to sleep tonight. Biden is. What effect, if any, do you think that I have on your campaign and your voter turnout? Uh, I don't think it will have a big impact. I don't let it worry about me because I know there's bigger issues that's going on that uh, first district residents are worried about, um, especially for those mothers, those single mothers and elderly grandparents that don't know where they're going to get their next meals from. Uh, for our, for our uh, young children that have no opportunities that are forced to uh, partake in criminal activity, join gangs because they don't have that father figure in the household. And so that question that you asked me, you know, the first the first couple of months, it was something that was on my mind. But uh, I'm a big guy on faith and I prayed about it and I and I understood, you know, the impact that it would have. But I'm more focused on what can I do to improve the first district and not letting that uh, decide my faith because I believe I'm the, the the best candidate with the solutions and able to uh, start dialogues with different people to ensure that we're doing what's best for the first district. Sticking on that though, with uh, people, you know, the the whole um, uh, the election was stolen and everything like that. Do you feel like, and not necessarily with you know, you going to Trump rallies and things like that, but just the fact that people think that the election was stolen. Do you think that it impact uh, the confidence people have in local elections? Uh, I do not. From speaking with my constituents, uh, a lot of people, uh, some, they don't vote in elections anyway when it, co when it compares to local elections because nobody knows anything. The transparency is so bad. Nobody even knows who uh, even the first district councilwoman is, I remember asking a few people if they knew who the mayor is, they didn't know who he was. Uh, they don't, a lot of people don't know how important local elections and elections are. And it's something that I've been uh, educating and informing people about that 
you know, if we sit home on election day when after, you know, the presidential election and the local election is two months away um, and we don't get informed as voters, then we're allowing for the same people that we're frustrated with, the same people that we say don't care about us. We're allowing for them to continue to get reelected or reelected each year. And they're not helping with what's what the needs are in our community. So uh, just just, you know, informing and educating them on how important local elections are. You being one of the youngest people in politics, you got you galvanize a lot of other younger people to uh, be interested. I mean, you ran with a couple other uh, younger folks uh, for during the uh, at large race. How do you plan to retain that for um, for this election and also just keep that energy for people to be engaged into the future? Yeah, um, I was excited. I was excited when I heard that uh, my two uh, uh, fellow candidates that we, I ran with, Andre and Peter, were running again. Um, it's this time for district races. Uh, but to be able to help to motivate and inspire our younger generation to take part in politics, um, that was you know a goal of mine when getting started and uh, testing my foot in the water uh, with that large is to ensure that no matter where you come from. No matter what your financial background is, no matter uh, no matter what you you know you've done, if you don't have you know the the recognition or name recognition, still put yourself out there to ensure that uh, if you're passionate about you know running for public office, you know getting informed on the issues. What issues are you uh, concerned about? What issues do you believe that you can uh, advocate? Uh, advocate for and help change uh, how things are done in this city. And I and I just met with a couple young guys that I mentor, and I told them the same thing: is that uh, know why you're getting into politics, know why you're doing it. Don't do it for uh, the perks, but do it. And that's what and that's where we, um, especially um, in politics, where a lot of people um, become self self ambitious because they're only doing it for personal greed. And I tell them that. If you do that, then you're not you're not you're not getting into politics for the right reason. You're not doing it as a natural born leader. You're doing it for the perks or the advantages of uh, being in that 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 seat or that office. Um, but you got to really be true to yourself. You got to know your passion for doing. You got to know that you're gonna uh, you're gonna hit a couple bumps in the road. You're going to you know not gonna win every election. And I use my experience with my at large and tell them. Um, you know, I ran on a $300 budget campaign. I really didn't have no support. And it was a miracle uh, that I made it to pass the primary. And I just tell them that however hard you work, that is going to determine how far you're going to get if you're really passionate about doing that. Uh, let me turn to uh, to some of the questions that uh, that we've got in here, and 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 I want to ask you first: uh, what what are the names of the council members? Uh, who who is it that you've talked to and turned to for advice and input already? Who's who's serving on the council? Yeah, I talked to uh, uh, Council Member Euler. I talked to uh, Council uh, Member Kelly. I mean, yeah, Council Member Kelly. I talked to uh, Council Member Rodrigo. Council Member um, uh, Monalago. Uh, and I'm still reaching out to uh, different uh, council members. Um, hopefully, um, I can get it wrapped up by uh, ASAP and just to get, you know, feedback when I'm in the meetings with, uh, you know, these council members. You know, I'm, I'm coming to them as 
uh, a fresh candidate like how they once were. And I'd ask them, you know, what did you do? How can I, what can I do different to uh, ensure that, that I'm doing what's best for, you know, my constituents and not just being another guy that's just running for office just to get his name out there, but instead showing the people that I'm truly passionate about it. Um, and also, as I mentioned, um, met with the mayor, uh, asked, asked everyone these same questions about what can I, what can I do or uh, what's the, the, the advice you're giving me? What can I give down? What to, you know, the younger people that are asking me these same questions that uh, I'm inspired to, you know, someday run for city council or uh, any other office to ensure that, you know, they're in it for the right reason and I'm in it for the right reason. And uh, just getting information too on, you know, city history on uh, different budgets and things to, you know, better help my understanding for when I'm speaking on different issues. Okay. And, and how do you plan to, to use having grown up in the first district yeah. to your advantage in the campaign? Yeah. Um, so growing up on the South side, uh, I'm passionate about my story with, um, you know, you know, not having a father figure in the home that pretty much molded me into the man I am and losing my sister to gun violence and just seeing all of these things happening. And uh, it's like a repeated cycle for everyone and just feeling like nobody cares about you. But using this as motivation to overcome your obstacles and to ensure that uh, whatever I do in life, I'm taking my road, you know, the, the journey uh, all the way to the top. I'm this is a part of my American dream. No matter what happens, I want to, at the end of the day, inspire uh, not just blacks, but whites, Hispanic, Asians that are growing up in the same, uh, you know, situation as me across this country and even in Peoria uh, to ensure that we're all in this together. Uh, no matter where you come from, no matter the zip code, no matter if you're the poorest of the poor, you're the richest of the rich, that everyone deserves an equal opportunity to be able to uh, to be able to live their dream. Uh, whatever that is in life and uh, overcome those overcoming those obstacles and uh, using that a part of using that using my uh, upbringing a part of my testimony to being uh, be, becoming the man I am today. Yeah, Chris, oh, I, mean, I, I can knock some out. Yeah, all yours. Uh, okay, so we have another question. Uh, have you sat and talked with Councilwoman Moore prior to running for District 1 to talk to her about your concerns and to get information from her? Yeah, I actually um, met with Councilwoman Moore. It was uh, before I you know, decided I wanted to run for public office, and it was to uh, get a street sign uh, named in honor of a late friend that uh, was tragically killed this in the earlier part of the summer. And um, I just felt as if, you know, from the conversations we were having from, uh, emails to even in person that that tone has changed. And, um, I just didn't like the way how, uh, she was not transparent at all. Um, but I did not talk to her about my plans to run for office. There's a $3.7 million budget shortfall. What is your thoughts on balancing that? What would you agree to cut? Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I'm still to this day looking at the budget. Uh, but looking at programs that we're not using at, at this moment, programs that um, are not until right now, especially with COVID. So, um, 
looking looking through the budget, looking at these programs, and you know, pretty much cutting the port, cutting the, cutting these programs, or uh, and working alongside members of the council to ensure that we're doing that and ensuring that uh, we're not cutting our public safety, especially our fire department, uh, because they're already short staffed and running a tight ship with uh, the limited number of uh, firefighters available. So uh, definitely when, it when it's time for that question with the budget shortfall, uh, you know, looking more into it, I don't have a definite answer about this is the program I'm going to cut and cut because that's not the type of person I am to tell uh, you what you what you want to hear. And I'm sure uh, Ms. Cannon that uh, you heard a lot of that from, you know, people running from office and uh, a spot, uh, and even elected officials to tell you something that you want to hear. Uh, but I'm going to go on record and saying that uh, that's something that I'm looking looking into daily uh, and praying about and something that um, when I'm having these meetings with uh, these different elected officials that I'm getting better insight, knowledge on, okay, this program is not needed now, so we can get away with this. But instead, you know, making sure that we're not uh, cutting our public safety. Uh, Asa says, I'm sure you answered this before, but I haven't seen it. How do you feel about being able to connect with being in leadership of an area that does not align with you politically? Yeah, great question. Um, and that's the thing about leadership. A lot of people, you're going to have a lot of people that, are, that criticize you for anything you do. Uh, you're not going to win everybody over. But uh, my motivation is ensuring, you know, no matter what my political beliefs are, that I'm putting the, the, my constituents of the first district first. I know what the uh, issues are and bringing the solutions, no matter if they support me or not. Um, and just ensuring at the end of the day that we're getting the first district back up and moving again and bringing revenue back into our community, bringing jobs, bringing opportunities for our youth and ensuring that we're uh, that we're, we're, we're going to be stable for the next 20 years and not for uh, two or three years, but instead having a long term uh, long term goals for what I want to see done with the district. And Chris. Yeah, I, I think we're going to move over to the lightning round now. We're coming up on our, our 40 minutes to to tap out. So lightning round it is. All right. Cool. It's my favorite part. So, all right, look, uh, Mr. Chess, we're going to get into the lightning round. You're familiar. Um, either or, rapid fire, all that mm. good stuff. All right. You got a minute and 26 seconds. Uh, you ready? Yeah. All right, cool. Kyrie, do you keep them or trade them? People. <laughs> Apple. <laughs> what was that? Apple or Android? Apple. Xbox or PlayStation? Xbox. Bullpen or Corys? Bullpen. The Bentley or the Lamb? Lambo. <laughs> Martin or Fresh Prince? Fresh Prince. Western or MacArthur? Uh, Western. Favorite rapper? Ooh, as of right now, I'll say Drake. Okay, the Henny or the Tron? Henny. Favorite local <laughs> restaurant? Uh, Junior's Kitchen. Uh, Jordans or Yeezys? Jordans. NBA or NFL? NBA. Avantis or Jimmy John's? Avantis. Red or blue? Red. Math or science? Science. Dolph or Gotti? Dolph. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I, I have to go with dog. You know, dog. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Friday or next Friday? Friday. Twitter or Facebook? Facebook. Rumburgers or uh, Heralds? Rumburgers. Favorite basketball player out of the P? Uh, Howard Nathan. Who you endorsing for mayor? I'm not any anyone who's going to do the job. Anyone that's going to help uh, make the first district successful. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Okay, I guess, I guess we're two for two on people who don't want to answer the mayor question. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, the the, the Gotti of the Dolph had me. The Gotti of the Dolph had me. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, Mr. Chess, thank you for coming on and being with us this evening. We really enjoyed it. No, thank you guys for having me. Uh, appreciate it. You guys for giving us us candidates uh, a platform to be able to share ideas with uh, the voters. All right. Thank you. And we're going to bid you farewell and welcome in momentarily Ms. Denise Jackson, who is also running for First District City Council. You may remember her from her time on uh, WEK Channel 25 as a reporter there uh, and a lifelong Peorian as well, Denise Jackson. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here tonight. Thank you for joining us. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Um, you used to sit where I'm sitting. There's a little bit of a delay, so you might have repeat that, Mark. I'm sorry, I didn't catch all of that. I was just saying the roles are supposed to be the other way around. You're supposed to see where I'm sitting. You're supposed to be interviewing. <laughs> well, you know what? It's interesting to say that. I do have some radio background. I did in New York uh, quite a few years ago, so uh, I into television, so, you know, it's all good. Yes, yes, yes. So um, so let's get into it. Lifelong resident of the South Side. Uh, now you're stepping up to the plate to represent it on the horseshoe. Um, why? Uh, I said I am. Uh, I am. Uh, I was born and bred here. I lived here all of my life uh, with the seven years when I uh, moved to upstate to start my journalism career. And and uh, came back in uh, health. I love my actually love the South Side. Uh, when my parents I think we're still getting a delay. Chris, are you able to hear? No, I'm, I'm having the same difficulty. I'm I'm sorry, Ms. Jackson. It seems like we're we're, we're having a little bit of. Okay. I don't want people to miss what you're saying. We can. You hear me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we okay. Can try shoot. Uh, okay. I, I'm not sure where I dropped out at, but yes, I am a lifelong Peorian, and unlike um, my other two candidates, I I, I have. I have a, a long history with the South Side. As I said, uh, I was I was born here and I lived here all my life with the exception of 11 years of state New York, but Peoria, uh, I especially love the South Side. And when I passed away, uh, despite the fact that half my siblings are in Houston, I decided we did because I love the South Side. Now I have to admit, I 
what I've seen. Uh, I, as a young girl, went to Webster School, which is just a block away. So strong, working class neighborhood, uh, locks all up and down the hill. I've been fortunate to see the district uh, when it was uh, bustling, and that includes parts of downtown. Uh, and Western Avenue. Um, I'm, I'm not happy with the current conditions, and uh, my mindset is if I'm here, I am going. We have been talking about wanting to see here in the first district since the 1970s, and so I'm very passionate about that. I've spent the last uh, Years um, working as uh, I'm sorry, as a member of Southside Community for Change, the coalition of good associations side. So the past couple of years, I've uh, worked at CUC. Uh, I've uh, asked myself to be a way that I can be more effective in trying the kind of changes we want to see in our community. It's go beyond the neighborhood stuff. But uh, what has been passionate in my in my heart is uh, fixing up our roads, uh, fixing up our, our infrastructure. Um, we've got the most number of vacant lots in the community on the south side. That's to change. So to be in a position to kind of change some of us have been wanting to see our roads and infrastructure bring uh, new affordable housing. We've seen some with uh, the redevelopment that, that Uh, private uh, investors come and put in condos, apartments, and lots, and then some of that most extended over to the beautiful homes down uh, Monroe and Madison Street. I've been talking to lots of people out there, and they, as a result of that redevelopment, there's more than like 40 in that and the community has totally turned around compared to what's like over the past uh, 10 years. So now it is time to bring some of the development to the other side of the first. And that has to happen most south side. So I would like to uh, a magnitude of the problem has become so severe. I think we really uh, seek federal dollars to do what we need. Patterns investment that has gone on uh, for at least uh, uh, three or four decades. So it's going to take a while, but but uh, we, we there are lots of us here ready to work to see those things. Ms. Jackson, I got the gist of what you're saying, the concept. I, I'm not sure if everybody else understood you perfectly given the, the um, internet delay. Um, Chris, did, did, did you experience the same? And I, I just want to make sure we're fair to, to everybody else in the audience and everything else. Yeah, I, I was, was getting a little of the same delay that, that was still there. I, I think I caught most of the, the gist of that, but. I caught most of the, the gist of that, but. 
Yeah, and I'm hearing that background. Hmm. Uh, yeah, because just now, Ms. Jackson. Uh, I just got off. Maybe I could bring you up on my phone. Perhaps. See if the reception I, I, on my, uh, I have, I have, I could probably bring the app on my phone. Uh, I just finished another uh, Zoom uh, meeting about an hour, well, about 45 minutes ago. Computer's plugged in, so I'm not sure why we've got the the lag, but I sense that there is a little bit. I how much I want you to miss what I have here with your audience. Yes, ma'am. If I can pull you my, uh, on my phone, maybe it's a little bit better. Yeah, we can try that. And then uh, if, if the phone app doesn't work, maybe we can go audio only, perhaps. Uh, I'd hate to do that, but just whatever works. Says I'm in the studio. Yeah, a little we'll, bit better. Yeah, we'll, See if we can get a All right, hi, hi. can you hear us? Yeah, hold on. Let me turn down my uh, computer because I'm going to get. Hi. Okay, how's this? Much this better. better. Much better. Yeah, we might be. We might be good to go. We might be good to go. All right. All right. So, did did you all miss everything I just said? It was. It was. It was. Uh, it was it was staticky, but uh, if you want to repeat it, go ahead. I, I got the gist of it, but um, if you want to do it for the sake of the audience, by all means, go ahead. Okay. And why don't you ask me the question again? You I sound a lot better. I, I think we're good to go. You, you definitely sound better now. Um, okay. okay. We're gonna start back over. <laughs> um, <laughs> I so, don't want uh, you to miss out. Yes, yes. So, so what I mentioned were uh, was uh, as you alluded to, lifelong residents, pure Southside. You're stepping up to the plate to represent uh, the district on the horseshoe. And we're just asking why. What prompted you to uh, to jump in the race? Okay. Well, as I was saying, uh, uh, for the past maybe seven, eight years, I've been working with Southside Community United for Change, and we're basically uh, we are a nonprofit five hundred one c three. We represent five, four or five neighborhood associations on the South side. And we do everything neighborhood associations do. I'm also president of Newtown Neighborhood Association. Uh, and um, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it immensely. Uh, as I said earlier, I have growing up in this neighborhood. I was fortunate to see it when it was a stable working class neighborhood. I attended Webster School just down the street and we had houses on every block. We had homeowners. We had uh, uh, we had beautiful lawns and Western Avenue uh, was a business hub uh, as I was growing up as a little girl. Uh, and we were fortunate to share things like that with some of the other people, including First District City Councilwoman. So I have seen the community in its heyday um, I'm not happy with the current conditions. Uh, and some of us who have chosen to stay here uh, on the South Side, uh, we've been waiting for some of the changes that um, have been talked about since the late 1970s, which includes uh, uh, infrastructure, infrastructure improvements to our roads. Uh, we have the most vacant lots uh, compared to any other uh, neighborhood throughout the city of Peoria. That's well over 200. Um, and um, 
we want to see uh, those things changed. Uh, we have seen improvements uh, in the warehouse district when the city uh, got 30 to $40 million in federal dollars uh, and, and invested in the infrastructure. And as a result of that, we saw private development come to the warehouse district in the form of apartments, condos, lofts, and businesses as well. Uh, we think we could do the same thing in other parts of the first district. Uh, move over to the North Valley in the last two or three years, we've seen uh, some redevelopment down there in the form of uh, new affordable housing. Habitat has put up beautiful homes on Madison and Monroe. And as a result, during my stops down there, I'm told they've got upwards of 30 or 40 families uh, there, and the neighborhood has completely turned around. Uh, now, the missing piece to that is we need to move some of that housing redevelopment to Southtown. As I said, we have more than 200 vacant lots. And I talk to people who have been interested in purchasing homes. They're not really interested in going to far out north because, number one, the taxes are higher than what they'd want to pay. And they've expressed interest in living in the first district. But here on the south side, we don't have uh, a housing, uh, uh, an inventory of new affordable housing that people can purchase and become possibly first time homeowners. So we would love. You, you just went out. Excuse me. Excuse me. Okay, I'm sorry. You went out for like 0.5. We was rolling good, though. We was rolling pretty good. <laughs> can you still hear me? Yes, I can hear you right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm it, sorry. Was, it was just a I'm second, sorry. though. You can take back up. It was just for a second. Okay. All right. So as I was saying, uh, we need to we need to complete the work that a lot of us have been waiting to see happen here in uh, the first district. And that is uh, to bring some of the infrastructure changes that are so desperately needed and to bring new affordable housing so that uh, we can begin to see our property values go up. We can begin to see people moving uh, into the neighborhood and, and hopefully uh, businesses come back uh, just like uh, maybe not to the extent Western Avenue was 30 or 40 years ago, but we believe if we fix up the roads and make the infrastructure attractive, we will reap some of the same benefits that we've seen happen in places like the Warehouse District and other areas throughout the city. So that is what has uh, driven my passion to seek the first District City Council seat. I have the history. I've seen the community when it was thriving, and I've seen it uh, in its decline. And uh, there are a lot of us who are very, very passionate about seeing real structural changes come. It has to happen. So my, my question, and you can still answer, but my question was, how long have you felt like the district has been headed in the wrong direction? But you did allude to the developments in the warehouse district and some uh, positive things going on in the North Valley. So do you feel like with 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 regards to like other areas of the first district, do you think it's just a matter of time and maybe things are getting better? It's just a matter of time until it gets to the, the you know, the 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 Western over to like MacArthur and all that in between the Cattell and the Butlers and things like that. I mean, well, since like, let me give you 
from Peoria? You're not from Peoria, are you? Oh yeah, I'm from Peoria. Uh, okay. uh, learned to ride a bike on Butler actually, and walked and go <laughs> walked to go get a Whopper at Burger King. Okay, well, um, no, there's been a pattern of of disinvestment, Marcus, that has taken place. It's gone on, oh gosh, since probably the late '70s, and, I, and I'm just gonna just just give you a little history. Um, back in the late '70s, uh, the city was, as many cities were throughout the country, in in the uh, process of doing a lot of uh, redevelopment. And one of the things they did wanted to do, which was very successful, was to bring the uh, University of Illinois College of Medicine to Peoria. And so the city bought out hundreds of homes. Uh, that not, some of them were very nice homes, and with the promise that. Uh, to make way for the College of Medicine with the promise that uh, Southtown redevelopment would come, okay? Um, and as I said, the College of Medicine has been beautiful. Caterpillar Training Center uh, has been beautiful. But that other piece uh, that folks were anticipating, expecting, never happened. And so as a result of that, Marcus, uh, Rhodes' major thoroughfares just uh, went neglected. Uh, uh, and and, I'm, and I, what I hear now is, well, that's a state road. Uh, uh, and, and, and we've heard stories about uh, council people, well, one in particular who's passed away, who had approved, gotten funding approved uh, to repaid one of our streets, but the city took the money and diverted it someplace else and it, and it never happened. So when you've got a, a pattern of this type of uh, disinvestment going on, things just get worse and worse and worse and worse. And the, and the magnitude of the problem gets so big that um, you're like, where do we start? And then when you you know, at one point you had you had a, a more homes, but then when you've got 200 homes or more torn down, it, it just becomes so much, it becomes so overwhelming and the blight just so big that you find yourself thinking, oh my God, what happened to my neighborhood? And this is what I I noticed. I When I was living in upstate New York, I'd come home every year and mom, what, when are they going to start? What, when are they going to start? And I never saw anything happening. So Excuse me. There's a lot of people who want. <clears throat> I'm go ahead too then. Excuse me. So there's a lot of people who really want <clears throat> to see these types of changes. So, <clears throat> so we're just committed. We're committed. We want to make it happen. And we think we can, but it's going to it's going to take collaboration. Uh, we have people uh, who we have residents, we have community partners, and and we have leaders who <clears throat> really want to see this happen. So we just believe the opportunity, the time is now, uh, based on what's happened everywhere else, and and it's not until we begin to make those kinds of structural changes, Marcus, that people will begin to um, get excited. They'll feel a sense of pride once again. Uh, they'll begin to feel like their voices are being heard because we've had situations where they've asked for things and 
asked for things and it just it never materializes. So until people begin to see structural changes, real progress, it's not until then that folks will begin to, oh, they're listening. They'll begin to want to participate. They'll begin to say, oh, yes, my vote does count. So we have to see, we have to move into that, that direction to begin to see those kinds of structural changes that people really, really want to see. And the city needs, how can we expect any business investment to come to uh, more, 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 I should say, uh, to certain areas when our infrastructure is just just in bad condition? So, so I believe the time is now. And... Um, I think I and, and all the folks I've been talking to, we're, we're, we're the folks to make it happen, and we want to move it forward. I want to ask this last question before I let Chris get in here, uh, piggybacking off of pretty much uh, everything we started with. At, uh, at what point did everything get so bad to you to where you decided, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and run? At what point did you decide that? <clears throat> okay, uh, let me see. Well, to be honest with you, um, <laughs> that's a very good question. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give it to you. Um, what, what propelled me into the, the first district race was um, <clears throat> SEUC got a uh, we had a conference call back in May. Well, let me back up. Yeah, we had a conference call at the request of the first district city councilwoman back in May, and and so we were on the phone and. Uh, <clears throat> We had been, uh, well, let me back up. Let me back up. Uh, back in, oh, I want to say about maybe 2015, we had a neighborhood academy, uh, SCUC, and we learned about how to write grants, how to, how to deal with the media, how to, you know, do things to, to help build up the neighborhood. And so we were asked at that neighborhood academy, what are some goals you would like to see in your community in the next 10 to 15 years? One of the goals that came out, excuse me, uh, was redevelopment of Western Avenue. Because uh, myself and others who grew up here, we, uh, we went on to tell the first district city councilwoman, back in its heyday, Western Avenue had Shires Dairy, they had Lincoln Avenue Pharmacy, they had a full service grocery store, Dell Farm, uh, they had Burger King, they had Strode Music, they had Lincoln Avenue Pharmacy. We went on and on and on telling her about the kind of little business district Western Avenue was back in the in its heyday. And so we told the first district councilwoman and we said, so matter of fact, we think if you could help us uh, get money from the city to redevelop the roads and fix up the infrastructure, we think that it might uh, attract some more businesses. That that was one of the goals that came out of our neighborhood academy. Uh, and so she took the idea and uh, presented it to the council after we presented it to her because we hadn't had any redevelopment at all, major redevelopment down here at that time in about 40 years. And so uh, we asked her, she took it to the council. So uh, the idea came up, oh yes, yes, the city's interested. So in the meantime, uh, they started working on university in, in Maine, remember that? tore that up, got that done. They started doing all these other uh, road projects similar to what was going to happen in Western. So Western Avenue was on the list. Uh, that was uh, five years ago. Um, but since that time, it's had one delay after another. Uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, and it's going to take, uh, we we're told it's going to take two to three years to get it done, but it's had one delay after the other. But 
uh, a year ago, March 2019, I went to one of the last public meetings about Western Avenue. At that time, we were promised it's going to happen July 2020. We're going to tear the street up. It's going to be a mess, but it's going to happen July 2020. We're like, okay, again, you know, so we're all bracing for it. So February, I email a couple of the uh, engineers and say, hey, what's the status of Western Avenue? Well, uh, got an email back and they said, well, it's on, according to IDOT, it's on the schedule to happen this July. I said, yay. So May rolls around, COVID hits. We get a, you know, everything stops. So we get a phone call. Uh, we had a meeting and we find out the city is saying, oh, we're struggling. Our budget is, is uh, we're struggling with it due to COVID. <clears throat> so first district councilwoman calls SCUC together on the phone. And uh, what she says, well, um, Western Avenue, well, um, it ain't going to happen now. Uh, we, we've got the money. The money's there. It ain't going to happen because the city's struggling with um, uh, COVID. And, 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 and they've asked us if we could look for areas to, uh, to hold off on. But it's going to happen. We're going to do it next year, but we're going to do the firehouse first instead. And so this is in May. And so I... Um, I don't know. I felt my blood pressure starting to not that, that particular day uh, go up a little bit. And so anyway, so it, what I'm saying, Marcus, is we have been waiting. We've been driving around and we've been watching uh, other neighborhoods, uh, University and Maine be redeveloped. We've watched Sheridan Avenue right outside the health department, same road reconstruction project. We've watched University be redeveloped by Aldi's and Walmart, same project. We've watched Forest Hill behind, between Sheridan and Knoxville, behind my church, redeveloped, beautiful project. We've watched Northmore Avenue redeveloped, beautiful project. And five years, we're still waiting for Western Avenue. Okay, we were sympathetic. We said, fine, COVID, we understand. But then two weeks later, the council's votes to appropriate, uh, put 300 something thousand dollars towards uh, redevelop starting on Sheridan and uh, Nebraska and shut down the Sheridan Road Bridge. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Western was put on hold and, and you're, you're, you're starting on Sheridan Avenue? I mean, what, I mean what, what is this? What is this? What's the rationale? So Marcus, to answer your question, I, um, I said, wow. I, I, every time I had a conversation with someone about it, I felt myself getting angry and my blood pressure was going up. And I said, Lord, how can I use this anger in a positive way? How can I use this? Because I, you know, I couldn't talk about it because I would, I would just get upset. It, it's disheartening to drive around in other neighborhoods and see road repavement projects. And listen up, Marcus. Uh, this past spring, our governor, J.B. Pritzker, he didn't let COVID stop him. He kicked off his $45 billion Rebuild Illinois Road and Bridge Project, which the uh, Murray Baker Bridge was a part of. So the governor found a way to move forward. But you're going to tell us we can't get Western Avenue done and we've been waiting for it for five years. You know, I could not find the rationale behind this here, you know. And at the same time, this past spring, IDOT was out on War Memorial Drive, repaving parts of War Memorial Drive. So Marcus, this is what 
propelled me into the first district city council race. I said, you know, this is there's there's and, and we try to get answers. We we would uh, try to get answers from the first district councilwoman, and um, it's it's just virtually impossible. It seems like there's been a lack of transparency with regards to Western, uh, a lack of accountability uh, about why things have just dr drug out for five years and you're doing Sheridan Road in Nebraska and the Sheridan Road Bridge this past, I mean, last, last year when you canceled Western. So these are the kinds of questions we were asking. Didn't get an answer. Didn't, I still don't know to this day. Um, and so this is what pushed me into the council, uh, first district council race, because I have lived here. I've lived here all my life. She hasn't. I, I have seen my community in better condition than what it is. I have witnessed the neglect that has continued. And now we have a situation. Uh, it's not just me. Uh, it's, there seems to be a disconnect as far as communications concerned with, with her. It's difficult to get answers. So I said, you know what, we, we deserve better. Uh, we d at least deserve um, accountability. We deserve a little bit more transparency. And and, I, and apparently, it's not. I'm not the only one that that has that 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 sentiment. So we have tried. We have tried to work with her, but again, I mean, it's just it, there's no accountability. There's no transparency. And quite frankly, um, I, I just can't stand to see it every year to watch road redevelopment projects and other roads get paved and nothing happened in my community. This is very disheartening. Well, I, I want to stay on roads for a minute then and, and ask you this. If, if you're elected to the council and, and certainly, you know, Western needs repairs, I, I could probably you know, list 25 other streets on the south end that, oh, that need urgent repairs right now and, and still have... 50 left to go. That's right. You, you, you'd, you'd be one of five district council members who's got to get six votes together, convince mm -hmm. your colleagues to, to put put these urgent road projects in the pipeline ahead of projects in, in their districts and for the at-larges ahead of road projects in, in the parts of town that they live in. How do you get the six votes in order to prioritize south side road projects over the other ones? How are you going to well, do that differently than than the incumbent is? Well, I don't think it's a secret, Chris, that there's been a pattern of di disinvestment in, in parts of the first district, particularly mm -hmm. on the south side. I don't think it would be difficult to uh, get them to see and understand that. And, 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 and some of that, Chris, is what people attribute to uh, bad policies, um, systemic you know, uh, inequalities, but, but you have to, you have to enlighten people, uh, about the, um, how can I say it? Uh, uh, the, the, the neglect that has gone on, uh, you have to enlighten people about the fact, and I went to the council and talked about it. The fact that, uh, we've seen money that's been set aside and for first district and diverted someplace else. So, so I think once you begin those conversations uh, with people and you uh, really, really enlighten them about the, the pattern of, of neglect and disinvestment that has 
happened in in certain communities, uh, you know, they, if nothing else, will probably agree. Uh, I don't think that it's it's fair to ask for all city dollars. This is why I said it would be necessary to seek federal dollars uh, to do some of this. And you can't do it uh, all at once because the magnitude, the severity of the deterioration is, is just so great that you've got to do maybe one road this year. But what I'm saying is you have to reach out just like the city did for the warehouse district and, and get that compete and get that 30 to 40 million dollars that they were able to get. And the other thing, Chris, is I was gone for 11 years and I come back to Peoria and I'm writing stories as a reporter at the station and I'm hearing stuff like 61605 is the poorest zip code in the country. This is all due to this pattern of disinvestment, this neglect that has gone on. And some of the same nonprofits have used Demogra uh, demographics from 61605 to go get federal dollars to do things that they want to do that don't necessarily uh, directly impact some of us here in 61605. So what I'm saying, Chris, is the city has been uh, complicit, uh, not so much current council members, but maybe the, the old ones. And some of them, they, they won't say it publicly. But they, they'll say it privately. Well, yeah, there was a lot of racism, systemic racism going on. So so we have to right some wrongs and it'll take time. But we've got to start the process. I would go after federal dollars and, 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 and use that. And I'm not saying put it all in this area. This is a conversation we have to have. We have to enlighten people about that. And, 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 and this is what I think we won't have a problem doing. I've got gotten surveys from the Progressive uh, D Democratic League of Peoria. And um, well, I don't think that they, they're not, they don't all look like me. And they've asked me questions like, well, how would you deal with, if, what would be the solution you would apply towards dealing with systemic racism when you, if you were elected to city council? This is one of the questions on their survey. And you know what I said? I said, you know what I would do? I would try to bring some of that road reconstruction project on south of MacArthur, on this side of MacArthur, where it hasn't happened, hasn't happened in 40, 50 years. That's what you call systemic racism. It has to cross over. And so even people outside of my race have acknowledged the fact that uh, City Hall, somebody has been complicit in allowing 61605 to become the poorest code in the nation. We have to right these wrongs. It's a process raising awareness, raising awareness uh, enlightening people, uh, because how can we as a community, how can we as a state, how can we as a country begin to mend and move forward if we don't do the right thing by the communities that have been underserved throughout this nation? What What is the city not doing to go after those federal dollars right now that it should be doing to go after them? Well, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. Uh, we did get a visit back in SCUC, and we got a visit back in June of 2016, National Resource Network, a uh, mm -hmm. federal organization that specializes in uh, revitalizing under underdeveloped uh, communities. They've done it in Milwaukee, Baltimore, uh, I believe in Cleveland. They came here, spent a week or two 
uh, looking around, compiling information, collective, uh, I can't remember the, the term they put to it, and basic met with City Hall and said, hey, it's in your best interest to do the right thing by uh, your underserved communities like the South Side. If you don't, this problem will spread like cancer. So this is, this is I, I, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. It's it, utilize the resources that are there. Okay, and, and, and through leveraging uh, community development, block grants, uh, you know, we can begin the process. I think personally, Chris, we missed out on a big opportunity. Uh, now, let, let me say this. State legislators, our state legislators have done a wonderful job. But I don't understand that this capital bill that went forth this past spring was the first capital bill in almost 10 years, Chris. You, you know, you covered state legislature. I did. For eight to sixteen years, and and we did not advocate to get any money to fix up uh, some of our state roads here in the city, uh, uh, Jefferson, south of MacArthur, uh, uh, Howett Street. Never been touched. It's a state road. Why did we not reach out to our state representatives and say, "Hey, six one six zero five is the poorest zip code in the in the nation. Can you can you help us get some money from Governor Pritzker to fix up?" two roads down here that's not a reasonable request we didn't do it it's not a priority for the first district city councilwoman but it is for me that's what i would do okay so um i'm gonna take one out of chris's book um finish the sentence the most pressing issue affecting the south end is what I just described it. Um, it the pre- most pressing issue, uh, Marcus, is our infrastructure. It, it really is. And, I, and I'm talking about roads and deterioration. And, and we've got a safety issue. Uh, my battery light's on, y'all, um, on my phone. Uh, but I, I got, I'm, I'm good for 20%. So, uh, but we got serious infrastructure problems. We need to, we need to really deal with our our roads, uh, major, I'm talking about the major thoroughfares, and it's, you can't do them all at once, but you begin to address the problem. As we know, when the city kicks a can down the road, as they did with the combined sewer problem, you know, with the EPA, and as they did with police and fire pensions, then the problem just gets that much more expensive later on the fix. So we've got to deal with infrastructure problems. And, 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 and being that We've started housing redevelopment in those other two areas. It shouldn't be that difficult to bring some of that down here in the South End where we've got all vacant lots. So infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. And property values will be a prize. And the reason why I asked that is because, and you, you do mention infrastructure several times over, and a lot of other people will will argue that it's the actual grocery store. People that don't even live in the first district would say, you know, what are the first district need? They're going to say grocery store. So I was just asking. And with that in mind, what do you suggest is the next move for food on the South side? Um, some people say uh, big box grocer. Other people say big box grocer isn't sustainable because enough people weren't shopping there. Do you suggest any alternatives to that? What, what is your vision for food on the South end? Well, SCUC, uh, the group that I've been 
working with. They have explored the possibility of grocery cups. Uh, uh, there's one in Bloomington. Uh, I think it's called Green Top. I, I've gone over that. And it, it's, it's very successful. Um, community invested on SC visited some. Um, whatever we bring, it has to uh, it has to meet the need of the community. Uh, we we've seen it when we tried it on with the Adam Street grocery store. We can't have um, we can't have grocery stores that are not full service grocery stores and providing the types of quality produce and foods that, that people so desperately need. But before we can get to that point, Marcus, we have to make uh, the community attractive to the buyer. Fix up our roads over there, wherever it may be. Now, let me, I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, with OSF uh, rehabbing uh, the old Caterpillar building in downtown Peoria, Adam Street is horrendous down there, y'all. And that needs to be, so OSF, uh, has become a major player in this city. Uh, I visited other cities. I lived in Rochester, New York, and the mayor there was very successful in bringing a, a full-service Topps grocery store, part of the chain in upstate New York, Topps. And so mayor at the time was uh, Bill Johnson, Very, but he was a cheerleader. He was an advocate brought a Topps grocery store uh, in the heart of the uh, city in Rochester. So we've got to have that kind of advocacy. I personally believe that we, we, could, we should explore the possibility of maybe once uh, OSF has uh, uh, fixed up the, the building downtown and it's supposed to bring 300 employees down there, um, that's going to be a that's going to be a, a jewel in downtown Peoria. We've got Jimmy John's. I don't think it's a ridiculous thought to consider a possibility of a, a grocery store downtown because it could pull from it could pull from the north. It could pull from the south. It could pull from uh, East Peoria. You know, it could pull. You know, so we've got to look at possibilities like that. Uh, you know, downtown. Uh, everybody needs a grocery store. Downtown has more housing stock now than it ever had. And so I believe it's a real possibility that a, 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 a nice full service grocery store could possibly do well. But we've got to fix up the infrastructure. You know, OSF has done well, but we've got to make it attractive. And, and I don't think it's a ridiculous thought. Um, I've seen it in, uh, you know, it, we can't compare Peoria to Los Angeles, but I've seen it in other cities, and I've seen as I said, I've seen it happen in Rochester, New York. Uh, we've just got to have the right people on board working with us and with the vision. It's been done in other places, so we have to look at best practices in other cities, see what they've done to make it sustainable, and move forward because it's it's not a ridiculous thought, you know. But infrastructure infrastructure has to look good. It has to be attractive. It has to be inviting. So I think a, a grocery store in downtown Peoria could possibly work. You uh, you spoke about um, the way the South End was 40 years ago, and then you talk about the recent decline. When you look at 40 years, Jim Artis has been at the helm of the city for almost half of that. Uh, do you feel like that the situation in the South End and maybe even the situation mm -hmm. in Peoria falls on the hands of a leadership or do you feel like maybe Pure has been a victim of circumstance? A lot of people like to point to the state. Um, what, what would you surmise is the reason why we got in this situation in the first place, the first the first district and Pure as a whole? 
Okay, I'll say this, Marcus. Our problem here is, is not unique. Um, you know, research has shown that policies in and around uh, the United States, uh, policies developed in the late 70s were designed to um, not have the best impact on inner cities. And uh, as a result of that, uh, uh, many inner cities, uh, including smaller ones like Peoria's, have seen uh, downtowns and, 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 and neighboring neighborhoods uh, decline. So it's, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I'm not interested in pointing fingers. I'm just saying it's been part of a practice that has happened all around the country. Okay. Peoria is not unique. Uh, there are economists who've written books about this. So we've got to, and I, and, and the president, uh, new president has talked about uh, developing uh, programs to deal with this type of systemic racism, uh, whether it, 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 if it doesn't affect you based on your color, it certainly has affected a lot of people based on their socioeconomic uh, um, conditions, okay? So it, it's a problem that's happened all around the country. But Peoria, unlike some other communities, they've I'm sorry, other communities like Peoria. Well, Peoria has begun to address it a little bit, but again, here and again, until we deal with uh, the crux of the cancer, uh, we won't be able to see any, until the uh, people in every neighborhood can feel safe, can feel like they can have decent, affordable housing, uh, then we have not we have not dealt with our problems and we need, as I said, we need to right some wrongs. So uh, you know, it, it's been a national problem, but now is the time to deal with it. And I want to stay here for one more question. An article about a couple months I ago. I think with the new mayor coming. You said with the new mayor, what? Um, you, you blocked out. No, I was just going to say, I believe with the new administration, a new mayor, hopefully uh, we'll have somebody who is... Um, who 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 is who who is receptive? Who is a visionary, and who is willing to work with us to to get this done? Because it has to happen. Uh, and staying right here, uh, an article not too long ago um, named uh, Pure as one of the fastest shrinking mid-sized cities in America. You also mentioned uh, racism just being uh, um, kind of a part of the fabric of uh, maybe previous councils or just uh, previous leadership in the city. Do you feel that? That might be the reason why we are borderline hemorrhaging citizens at, at one of the fastest rates in America. Or what do you think the reason is that we are uh, one of the fastest shrinking cities in, in America? Well, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's it's probably all of the above. Um, you know, I know as a reporter, uh, when I was a reporter, business been complained about taxes and uh, and even caterpillars uh former um uh you know ceo uh met with the former governor years ago to talk about that very topic so we've got to deal with all kinds of issues we've got to look at other ways we've got to um we've got to be business friendlier uh we've got to be you, you saw i mean you were here when the wall street 24 7 survey came out when you've got socioeconomic conditions that favor one group more so of over the other, uh, okay, then you've got to fix that. That is the type of thing that will attract uh, people to come here and take a job, people to come here and live. When you, when you level the playing field and you give people opportunities, 
I, you know, I, I, I went to Bradley and I interned at two stations here in town. And uh, uh, after successful internships, I was like, hey, I'm going to get a job in Peoria. This is my hometown, you know, until I heard a white professor, uh, God bless him, say, well, he might have a hard time getting a job here. A white, a white professor at Bradley. And I didn't didn't want to believe him. But I after I graduated from Bradley and interned at two stations, uh, I spent a couple of years running around here knocking on doors, begging people, give me a, you know, you give me a job. You know how um, what my track record is. I interned here. Nobody would at the time. At the time, it seemed like they were only hiring their tokens, one minority at a time. So subsequently, I got my first job at a radio station in Buffalo, New York, because I couldn't get a job here. So this is the experience of people who have lived here. And, 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 and uh, unfortunately, we still have places in and around the city where black people haven't worked. A friend of mine just recently got a job at a, a department agency downtown and she's the first black person to ever work there she's got a college degree she's written a book and so we we've got to deal with these issues uh in order to bring people uh back to peoria peoria just recently lost its um diversity officer dr ferris muhammad uh 37 years old and he has a phd diversity officer lost him sooner than we had anticipated now I don't know the details, but um, the story goes that he didn't have enough support staff. He needed people to help him uh, do things in his position. Well, if you're the only one hired, even if they're paying you top dollar, how are you gonna how are you gonna do your job? And so now, is is that a, is that does he become a victim of budget cuts? You know, so you can't blame everything on racism, but it doesn't do us any good to bring another diversity officer here if we're not going to give him the proper tools so that he can or she can do their jobs. So we've got to change some some the way we look at things, how we level the playing field, hire people. You know, I've just shared with you stories. So this is the kind of stuff that has to change if we want people to come here. Dr. Muhammad was not from here and he uh, he's gone someplace else to work. So so this is the reality for minorities um, who come here to work. Shouldn't be, but so so we've got to deal with that kind of stuff, and we've got to be transparent and we've got to be open honest about it. Okay, uh, I'm going to move over now. Uh, we're we're actually coming up on the the 40 minute mark, but I want to get a couple of couple of questions in from our, our Facebook live viewers, uh, 40 minutes factoring in some of the, the tech issues we had at the beginning there. So you'll, you'll get equivalent time to, to everyone else. Uh, I, first one I want to ask you from, from the Facebook live feed is how would you be a more transparent council member than the incumbent? Well, I thank you for that question. Uh, I recently, I, I think that's important. I think, uh, 
accountability is important too. And I think collaboration, the willingness to work with people is also important. Um, I've demonstrated that, some of that in my work with SCUC. Um, I last Thursday launched my Facebook Live on Thursday nights. Uh, if y'all want to tune in tomorrow, uh, six o'clock, uh, Denise Jackson, Peoria District One. And I, I, I'm, I'm on Facebook taking questions. I will continue to do that kind of stuff. I will. I think uh, that is what that is part of that accountability factor. Uh, you need to routinely work, talk with the, your constituents, uh, upgrade, update them, brief them on how things are going. These are things that I think all elected officials ought to do. Uh, you shouldn't just get elected and 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 folks don't hear from you or folks don't can't work with you, can't collaborate with you on anything. So I am committed to doing that. I'm Chris, I'm not really interested. I covered city council as a reporter. Uh, it's not one of those things I would have said, hey, I want to be a city council person. No, uh -uh. I, I'm, I'm not interested in it for the money. I'm interested in it for bringing about real change to the community. And there are people around who are ready to work. So, you know, when I, I get elected, we're going to be formulating teams and, and doing things, anybody. And, and, and I hope throughout this whole process that the, the message goes out to people that we care. We want your input. We want you to be involved. Uh, this is your community. And I, I watched people like Mr. John Gwynn uh, boycott and, and it's businesses, Caterpillar, uh, the water company, Silco, and others uh, in, the, in the late 60s when black folks couldn't get a job there, okay? I watched the sacrifices they made. And this is a community that we have now. We're indebted uh, to fix this and to make it better for the folks coming behind us. So that is the thing that motivates me and uh, helps me to uh, be transparent with everybody. Okay. I, I'm going to ask you one more that, that came in just as, just at the changeover before, but I, I think yeah, I, I think it's important to have, have candidates respond to, which is, what can we do to avoid wasteful spending projects such as the failed hill downtown? It's such as the what? So, such as the failed hotel downtown, the problems with the Pyramid The hotel? Cap. Yeah. Okay, one that's a great question. Um, I think we should uh, do our due diligence, okay? Check best practices with other cities. Um, don't just take everybody's word for it. Uh, and there were rumblings. I, even as a reporter, I would, you, you know, the developer, former developer, had other pro has other properties in and around this area, and I would get information saying, oh, the, you know, about treatment of employees and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, what I'm saying is the city needs to do its due diligence, do its research, do its homework, uh, go check other projects out in other places and check the, see how they've done uh, before you just commit to it. Uh, we have an obligation to do that because money's tight and, and we just can't afford to uh, throw away $8 million like the city did. Um, well, I don't want to say throw it away, but Pierre Marquette and Mary, I did file for bankruptcy. And that's that's $8 million that was invested in, in city funds on that. So we have to do our homework before we uh, just uh, commit. Uh, but we do want to see downtown uh, redevelopment. But uh, again, we have to, as elected officials, 
uh, be accountable to the public and do our due diligence and not be so quick to rush into projects, just like the River Trail project that Councilwoman Moore and others voted to support. But, uh, you know, I, 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 the longer that thing took and, and the more that the National Park Service in D.C. was saying, well, we're not going to sign off on it yet because they haven't done this, 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 and this, and this. And then you had the group that did, wasn't happy about them using that beautiful parkland. When things like that are happening, that's got to be a big red flag that this, this is probably not the kind of project we want to enter into when there's that much controversy and disagreement about it from the public. Okay, and I think we are now going to move on over to our lightning round. We are ready for the lightning okay. round, sir. Okay, now. Okay, this is new. I was watching Aaron, so uh, if my phone dies, y'all, y'all just uh, forgive me. We got to get. Through. We got to get and, through and it. And I get a little breakup, but. Oh yeah, the break. Okay. Okay, we, now, we, now, we, so we, I just pick something. Did you call it out? Yes, ma'am. You got you got a minute twenty six seconds. Are you ready? Let's go. Oh oh oh. Ooh. Uh oh. If, if look, if y'all been, look, I'm, I'm gonna restart you. I'm gonna restart you. I'm gonna restart you. Real quick, if anybody has seen my my Facebook, <laughs> y'all know what my setup look like. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be the lightning round, not the light falling round. Yeah, it's not the light falling round. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We're gonna get you right. We're gonna get you right. Okay. Are you ready? Can you hear us? Uh, okay. Let's go. Okay, Rumbergers or Heralds? Yeah, and there's a little bit. Huh? Rumbergers or Heralds? I see, I can't hear. I can't hear. Ooh. Can you hear me now? Rumbergers or Heralds? Rubber what? Rumbergers or Heralds? I see, I'm not hearing. What? R- Rumbergers? Can you hear me? Rumbergers? Rumberger, Rumberger, Rumberger. Uh, Apple or Android? <laughs> Apple. Walmart or Target? Target. Heels or sneakers? Sneakers. <laughs> Fresh Prince or Family Matters? What? Fresh Prince or Family Matters? Fresh Prince. Uh, Avani's or Jimmy John's? Jimmy John's. Mariah Carey or Janet Jackson? <gasps> Janet Jackson. Okay, favorite local restaurant? Oh. Favorite local restaurant? We're, we're done, huh? PT's yeah. Barbecue. TT's barbecue, okay. And uh and I'm gonna finish up these last couple. Favorite movie. Uh Madam CJ Walker. A favorite basketball player out of Peoria. Sean Livingston. And who do you endorse for mayor? I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> 
know what? You know what? This is lightning round question two. This is the last one. Western or MacArthur? Oh, jeez, oh, Louise. Why would you do that? Western, Western, Western. Hey, you're the only one that answered, though, I think. I think you might be the only one that answered that question. <laughs> <laughs> but we still can't get anybody to tell us their mayor choice. We can't. We can't. We can't. <laughs> okay. Th thank you, Ms. Jackson, for coming on tonight. Thank you for bearing with us through everything here. We really appreciate it. Okay. okay. I apologize for the connection. It's kind of bad. It's getting worse, but it's a good time to wrap it up, though. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to your audience. And don't forget Facebook Live tomorrow, Denise Jackson, Peoria District 1, 6 o'clock. All right. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you so much. This has been the State of Pure with myself and Chris Kiergaard, sponsored by State Farm Agent Aaron Kilgore, located at 3805 North Sterling Avenue, where he specializes in car, home, and life insurance.